Hello, people of the way, blessings in Jesus. If you have your Bible, please open up to James chapter 5, the book of James chapter 5. We continue our study through the New Testament. And in these writings of Brother James, inspired of the Spirit and captured in the canon of Scripture, the Word of God and the Word became flesh, we've already studied some very, very hard-hitting truths. Uh, James, he doesn't mince words. Uh, but he's also not saying things in a hurtful manner. Now, even though some things can be hurtful, but that depends on the person. I mean, do you remember several weeks ago when we were uh, studying, even last week, but, you know, about prayer? And yes, there is power in prayer, but there's also a specific formula. And even the prior week about the taming of the tongue and the little campfire, remember the little campfire uh, with the, the barrel of gasoline, how dangerous that can be? Now, some very hard-hitting truths but at the same time, I mean, we could we could look at the writings of James, uh, in, inspired of the Spirit and the the vessel that the Lord uses. Now understand that you know the Lord is cleaning house, but at the same time, He's using His vessel, vessel. James, Vessel, uh, 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 Paul, Vessel, Peter, and then, you know, don't forget beautiful, beautiful Vessel, Chloe, even Vessel, Hannah in the Old Testament. And it's so powerful when you see who the Lord uses, and not just who the Lord uses, but you see the makeup, the framework of their hearts, of their minds, just like our, our study in the book of Judges. Who is it that the Lord uses and you know in using them who is it that the lord has chosen and then you see the framework what the makeup of a man the makeup of a woman the makeup of a boy the makeup of a girl and the makeup of an old guy or old lady and it's beautiful and so when we have this understanding and apply it to ourselves what is our framework what is your framework and I say framework, but, you know, the, the heart that is so rendered to the Lord. Or not. I mean, the ball's in your court. The ball's in my court. The ball's in our court. We have a choice to make. But a heart that is so rendered to the Lord. And I love that because there's, you know, writings, uh, uh, so render, so render your heart. You know, it's like surrender, surrender. And so you look at these beautiful truths and sometimes very hard hitting. I mean, last week was very hard hitting. Remember the letter written to believers. And yet at the same time, he says, you know, brother James, he says, you adulterers and adulteresses. It's like, whoa. But say, for example, you and me were baby Christians. And then we hear that like, what? Like what? adulterers and adulteresses? And you and me were baby Christians. And there is that abrasion to those words. But then say, for example, we heed those words. And in the course of time, months pass, years pass, and we hear those words again where, you know, you know, adulterers and adulteresses. But this time, the first time, it did apply to us. But the second time, it does not apply to us. Why? Because the heart that is so rendered to the Lord, the heart that is being transformed into the, the, the it, 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 as new creations, a heart being transformed, you see? And it's so beautiful because, you know, sometimes it's like, whoa, this is a hurtful verse. Whoa, this is a hurtful chapter. Whoa, this is a hurtful book. But when we have the understanding that you and me, 
to remember in, in 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 the book of Romans. Remember, if you've been walking with us for a while, for a while, our study in the book of Romans, and like you know, the people asking Paul, "What do we do? What do we do? We want to serve the Lord. We want to serve the Lord." And what does Paul say? What does Paul say? He says, you know, present yourself a living sacrifice, which is your reasonable service. He doesn't say, hey, go knock on doors. Hey, collect all this money. He doesn't say, hey, go feed these people. Hey, go do this. Go do that. He says, no. He says, uh, 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 present yourself a living sacrifice, which is your reasonable service. You see? Now, it's not to say that those things cannot be done. Ministry cannot be done. But remember the formula. The Lord does the work in a person first. In a person first. And then through the person. But the person, male, female, young, old, must be so rendered to the Lord. You see? And that's when we look at crucifixion. Where Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And sometimes so many Christians, they say, oh, look, I'm crucified with Christ. I'm crucified with Christ. And you're like, wait a second. I don't see crucifixion, brother. I don't see crucifixion, sister. Because the old man, the old woman has not been reckoned dead. But not so with the remnant because when the old nature, when the old man, when the old woman is reckoned dead, it's so beautiful because, you know, we like to say, put on your seatbelt. Put on your seatbelt because just like in the Old Testament, just like in the New Testament, where the Lord sees, okay, that's my guy, that's my gal. And we like to say, put on your seatbelts. And so we hear, we are here in James chapter 5 and verse 1, Brother James, still not mincing words and still hard-hitting. And we see here in verse 1, come now you rich, this is to the wealthy, to the wealthy he says, weep and howl, come now you rich, weep and howl. Now, remember last week? In our study in chapter four, where, you know, instead of joy and laughter, where Brother James says, no, no joy, no laughter. There should be lamenting and weeping. You know, just just that thought alone, a group of Christians, a body of believers and Brother James, a vessel of the Lord is saying, you know, you shouldn't have the, the joy. You shouldn't have the laughter. Instead, you should have lamenting and weeping. And it's like, whoa, that's, that's weird. I thought Christians were supposed to be happy. I thought Christians were supposed to be full of joy. Yeah, we are. Okay, so how come, how come we can't do that? Well, remember our Old Testament studies in the book of Numbers where the Lord says, hey, go into Canaan, I'm with you, and you, you'll be victorious. And, you know, and then the, the, the recon team comes back and they see like, whoa, these guys, these Canaanites, they're giants. They are huge. Their pinky is the size of my torso. These guys are huge. And then the people were afraid. The recon team, they come back, they report, and Israel is afraid. They're like, you know, one guy can wipe out, you know, thousands and ten thousands of us. No, we're not going to go do that fight. And then the Lord says to Moses, okay, okay, you know, see, they, they made their choice. You know, the Lord says X, Y, Z, the people chose one, two, three, okay, disobedience. And then the Lord speaks to Moses and says, Moses, instead of this 11 day journey in the wilderness, now it's 40 years. See, as a result of disobedience. 
And then Moses tells the people, you know, thus saith the Lord, this 11 day journey, now it turns into 40 years. I mean, picture that 11 days to 40 years. That's a, that's some major chastisement. And then the people, they hear that. They're like, what? You know, we, instead of, you know, less than two weeks time, it's going to be 40 years. And then, you know, they, you know, they consider their options. They weigh their options. And now they say, okay, we'll go fight the Canaanites. We'll go fight the Canaanites. Now I want 11 days instead of the, the 40 years. So now I'll go fight the Canaanites. See what they're doing? They're cherry picking, cherry picking. You can't do that with the word of God. No cherry picking. And so we have these Old Testament examples. Remember brother Paul, when he says these things of old were written for our admonition, for our warning. And then the people say, okay, we, we don't want the 40 years. We prefer the 11 days. So now we'll go fight the Canaanites. The Lord is with us. The Lord says, you know, he's with us and we're going to be victorious. And the Lord says to Moses, he says, no, no, tell them not to go. Tell them not to go because they're going to suffer casualties. It's like, well, wait a second, Lord, you said you were with us. You said we would be victorious. But that's before disobedience. You see, did the Lord change his mind? No. The people changed their heart. Because the effectuation for the Lord to be with Israel and be, for Israel to be victorious in combat, the, the effectuation of that promise and for that promise is obedience. But now that there's disobedience, the Lord says to Moses, Moses, tell them not to go because, you know, they're going to suffer casualties. They're not going to be victorious. And you know what happened? The people went anyways. Israel, they went into Canaan anyways. And you know what ha happened as a result? They suffered casualties see and people died they suffered casualties see the lord didn't change his mind it's the people it's the condition of the heart and a lot of times when you have these false teachers of these last days where you know they look at these uh, uh, faults of israel in the old testament and they say well you you see you know god is all done with israel and then they start to teach replacement theology which is a lie from the pit of hell no, these things were written for our admonition so that we as Christians can learn from those mistakes. You see? And heeding Brother Paul, not heeding the false teacher, but heeding Brother Paul, when he says these things were written for our admonition, we understand the formula. You see? It's the same reason why Brother James, to Christians in the church, says, you know, no joy, no laughter. To Christians in the church and assembly of Christians, he says, no joy, no laughter. Instead of joy, instead of laughter, there should be lamenting and weeping. That's what Brother James says last week in our study in chapter 4, the book of James. You see? Why is that? It's because of the carnal nature. The propensity of leaven to stem from the carnal nature and leaven must be dealt with. It's not to say that, hey, Christians, we cannot have joy. We cannot have laughter. You see, Brother James isn't saying that. He's saying in the present condition of carnality and, you know, and carnality uncorrected leads to leaven. Leaven uncorrected leads to hell. 
And Brother James is saying, hey, it's not to say that you can't have joy. It's not to say you can't have laughter, but not in that condition. You see? Because we got to get you cleaned up. How do we get cleaned up? Repent. Repent and be right with the Lord. You see? And it's also important to remember and understand that Brother James, he's the full package. He's qualified. You see? He's qualified. He is biblically qualified. Now, remember our study in the pastoral epistles? If you're listening for the first time, welcome. But go back and listen to our studies through the pastoral epistles and you'll understand. Scratch that. If you're listening for the first time, go back and listen to our study from 1 Corinthians all the way here to the book of James and you'll understand a whole bunch more about formula. You'll understand a whole bunch more about qualifications for leadership of overseers, for pastors and elders. You'll understand about the full package, not package one, not package two, not package three, but the full package, the real deal. You'll understand if you're listening for the first time, go back and listen. Go back and listen. Everything's archived for you. Thewayunderground.com. Thewayunderground.com. Everything is housed for you. Everything is resourced for you. It's there presently. We've already been shut down on several platforms. I hope and pray that this ministry can endure during the 70th week of Daniel, the entirety of the 70th week. All those, the resources are there. Go and listen, free of charge. For your love gift of 1995. No, 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 no. Freely I have received, freely I give. You see, it's for you. And go back and listen to those studies. And it will help you understand. You'll learn about formula. Formula for ourselves. Formula for me. Formula for you. Formula for us. Formula for we. Formula for the Ecclesia. Koinonia. Love feast. Biblical love feast. A biblical love feast. Not the fake stuff. Not the fake, fake stuff that's propagated by the charlatan. No, the real deal. The power of the Holy Spirit. The gifts of the Holy Spirit. You see? It's very important to remember that Brother James, he is fully qualified. And because he meets the biblical qualifications for overseer and teacher, because he meets those biblical qualifications, he's able to speak on these matters in a manner that honors the Lord, but in the power of the Holy Spirit. Because he's the full package, he's able to speak on these matters. He's not Alexander. He's not Hymenaeus. And if you're listening for the first time and you go back and you do listen to those prior studies, you'll know all about Alexander and Hymenaeus, a couple of false teachers, false prophets. They don't meet the biblical qualifications for overseer. Brother James is not like Alexander. He is not Hymenaeus. He is not Osteen. He is not Furtick. Brother James is qualified, full package. When those other guys speak, that are not full package, that do not meet the biblical qualifications for teacher, overseer, pastor, elder, you know what you do? Ignore them. Ignore them. But when James speaks, heed him. You see? 
I mean, if if we were around back then, you and me, say you and me, we get in the time machine, we go back in time. If you and me were around back then, it would be safe to have him as pastor. It would be safe for you and me to submit ourselves to his pastoral authority. You know why? Because he's qualified, full package, and he watches out for our soul. And these are things, if you're listening to the first time, these are things that you're going to understand if you listen to from 1 Corinthians all the way to the book of James. You'll understand. The qualified pastors, they watch out for our soul. These are distinctions that must be made. They must be made. And so last week, Brother James, he says, no joy, no laughter. Instead of that, weeping, lamenting. And it's the same here. He says, weep and howl, except it's to the rich people. Kind of a double whammy. I mean, say, for example, you know, like if we were in, you know, church last week and we were in our time machine, we go back in time and we're in, you know, the church where Brother James is teaching. And last week it was like, you know, uh, you know, no laughter, no joy. And it's like, okay, this is a new Sunday. That was last Sunday. This is next Sunday. And then say, for example, we're rich. And so last week it was like, okay, whew, you know, we made it through last Sunday and then boom, say we're rich and we're thinking, okay, every, you know, we got cleaned up and praise be to the Lord. And okay, now we're good to go. And then boom, verse one, come now you rich weep and howl. Whoa, it's like the double whammy. And he says, you rich. He says, weep and howl in verse one for your miseries that are coming upon you. Whoa. For the wealthy, your miseries that are coming upon you. Now, we not we, we we must not forget that we had some demas behaviors happening. Demas behaviors. Now, remember demas in our study in the pastoral epistles, where uh, Brother Paul writes, uh, Pastor Paul writes to young Pastor Timothy and tells him about demas, demas who was with Paul. Except Damas was seduced by the world. Bright lights, big city, more opportunity, and a fat paycheck. And Damas was seduced and left Paul. And don't forget, Brother James said last week, and you know, instead of saying, you know, we're going over here, we're gonna wheel and deal, and we're gonna make all this money. Brother James, in spite of the spirit in chapter four, says, No. He says, instead, this is what you ought to say. If the Lord wills. Remember, and we studied that, the, the two wills. Is it my will or is it thy will? Thy will being unto the Lord. And that's something that every single one of us must always, always, always keep in mind in our heart. Is this my will or Lord, is this thy will? Remember the two wills. Mine or thine. You see? And a lot of times, you know, you see people, it happened back then in the days of James and it's happening today. People like to masquerade as though they're in the will of the Lord. You see, oh, look, the Lord has provided, they say. Oh, look, the Lord has provided. They start getting their multiple houses, boats, multiple boats. And when I say boat, I'm not talking about, you know, a little fishing boat that's, you know, five feet long. I'm talking about the 50 footers minimum, 50 footers. Oh, look, the Lord has provided. I got my boat. 
People say, that's not a boat, that's a yacht. Well, it's just a boat. They start getting their facelifts, their fillers here, fillers there, plastic surgery here, plastic surgery there. Oh, look, the Lord has provided, so I'm going to make these enhancements. I'm going to make these beautifications. And the whole time, the whole time, it was never the Lord. The whole time it was never the Lord. It was Satan who presented himself as an angel of light. And the believer wasn't equipped to discern. You see? And this warning that Brother James is giving is to the rich people. It's for the rich. And don't forget, the wealthy, their walk with Christ is much more difficult than the average believer. The wealthy, their walk with the Lord is much more difficult than the poor believer. It's not impossible. It's entirely possible. Look at Barnabas. But it's much more difficult. You see? And Brother James, last week, he says, you know, friendliness with the world is enmity with God. I want to say something to rich people. If you're, you know, a rich person, if you consider yourself to be a rich person, wherever you are in the world. And I want to say something to you. You make hundreds of thousands. Well, there are those who make their millions. You make your millions. Some make their billions. And all of it, all of it is nothing to the most high God. I mean, look at the wealth and the might of Egypt and behold their destruction. You see, I'm all for upward mobility. I'm all for upward mobility. But only when it's the Lord who's lifting. Only when it's the Lord who's lifting. Look at Barnabas. It's beautiful. Don't forget, his name was Joseph. Barnabas was the name given to him by the apostles. Son of encouragement. You see? Yes, he had money. But money didn't have him. Very important to make these distinctions. I know saints today who you could give $10,000 cash to, a stack of bills. You can give them $10,000, just a a big stack of bills, $10,000. Here, brother, here, sister. And you know what? $10,000 would fund the ministry for the the kingdom, advancing the kingdom. 100% of the money for the Lord. But I also know some saints who couldn't dare touch those funds because $10,000 cash would be the doorway to hell. You see? And the person would jump right through. The the person would jump right in. They'd jump right through. The door would be wide open and the person would just walk right through, dive right in. You see? And the wealthy... Yes, they're, they're, you know, in the Bible we see, you know, all kinds of, you know, you see the poor, you see the wealthy, you see the super wealthy. And then we also see how it's easier for a camel to enter the eye of the needle than it is for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. You see? And these are things that we looked at last week where, you know, what was happening in, in, in the days of James is that people were being seduced. 
just like Damas was. Damas was seduced. Oh, Bright Lights, big city, the land of opportunity. Look, I can make more money over here. I can make more money over there. Look, I can do this. And oh, I can get a nice fat paycheck. Oh, look, the Lord is providing. Oh, look, because of this fat paycheck, I can afford this for my family. I can afford, afford that for my family. And Brother James, last week he says, no. If the Lord wills, he doesn't say, no, don't you dare do that. You know, you're going to burn in hell if you do that. No, he says, ask the Lord. If the Lord wills. You see, it's very important to make these distinctions. Because when you look at Barnabas, look at the ministry of Barnabas, how he would sell property. And 100% of the funds would be given to the church. Now, very important disclaimer here. The church in the book of Acts is definitely, definitely, definitely not like the church today. Definitely not like the church today. So like, you know, if, if you're wealthy and you want to, you know, sell property, you know, go to the Lord and make sure it's the Lord who's, who's guiding and directing you. But at the same time, you know, it's not a blanket statement where you can just say, Hey, I'm going to give to this guy. I'm going to give to this church. I'm going to do this. No yeah. formula has got to be right all around formula in your heart, formula in the fellowship, formula in the body, formula in the overseers, formula in the, pa in the pastors, you know, the overseers, biblical qualifications. And at the same, always accounting for milk within the body, always accounting for the milk and the mature. The babies and the mature, always accounting for that. But at the same time, when you have that, that, that is something that is so rare. And it's going to become even more rare in these last days. It's so rare. It's not going to be found in the mega church. It's not going to be found in churches where there's hundreds of people. I mean, you look at our study last week in James chapter 4. How many Christians do you know who would endure, you know, a, a, a letter being read such as chapter four in the book of James? How many Christians do you know would endure the words of James from just one chapter alone? Not a lot of people. Believers, not a lot of people could endure James chapter four. If, 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 if a pastor was standing at the pulpit and said, the exact same things that Brother James wrote. Not a lot of Christians would endure that. You see, hey, pastor, I'm having a problem with my, my prayers aren't being answered. My prayers aren't being answered. What pastor, what elder, what overseer do you know who would say, well, the problem's not the Lord. We, you know, that's a gimme. We know the problem is not the Lord. So what's left? And Brother James says, you adulterers and adulteresses. That's apostasy. How many Christians do you know would endure that from a pastor? You see? It's very important to understand the formula. I want to say something to the rich people. If you're listening and you consider yourself to be wealthy. And I want to say something to the person who has had plastic surgery done. The person who does do the fillers, you know, every quarter. They get the fillers. You see? Little tuck over here, little nip over here. Get the enhancements. Let me tell you something. You were created in the image of God. 
You are created in the image of God. And you know what? He never makes mistakes. He never makes mistakes. I mean, I wish I could have spoken to you before all the work. Because I could have told you that you are wonderfully made. But I'm telling you now. And you are wonderfully made. Made in the image of God. And he does not make mistakes. You see? I tell you the truth. There is nothing. Absolutely nothing. Nothing, nothing, nothing. More beautiful than righteousness. Nothing is more beautiful than righteousness. Nothing. You can be chubby, you can be wrinkly, you can be short, you can be tall, you can be gimpy, you could have no arms, you could have no legs, and nothing, 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 nothing is more beautiful than righteousness. You see? I mean, you look in the mirror today and see what you perceive to be ugly and you don't like it. You know, there are some times when I wish I can speak to different segments of culture, of church culture and, you know, of the church, you know, male, female, young, old, um, you know, teenage boys, teenage girls, little boys, little girls are all little people. And then, you know, like the married couples, old people, old women, old men, pastors, elders. There are times when I wish I could speak to every single one of them in the faith. And this is a time when I wish, wish I could speak to the rich people. And specifically, rich women. Where, you know, you don't like, you, you got a little, a little, uh, a bump in your nose, you know, a piece of cake. Just go, go to the doctor, get it taken care of and got a brand new nose, piece of cake. You don't like the location of your ears, you know, one is lower than the other, you know, whatever. And it's like, okay, boom, piece of cake. But I wish I could sit down, especially the rich women. Cup of coffee, some tea, beautiful conversation. And I would tell you that you're beautiful. The men too, men get their work done. They do their little, the fillers here, the operations here. And you're made in the image of God. And God does not make mistakes at all. And number one, being created in his image, that's beautiful. And that is a biblical truth. But you know what? That's on the outside. That's on the outside. That's what we can see with our carnal eyes. I mean, with our carnal eyes, we can see the gimpiness, you know, your, you know, your, 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 your ears droopy, your nose looks like this, your lips look like this, you got the wrinkles, it's too chubby over here, too chubby over there. That's what we see with our carnal eyes. And yes, we are created in the image of God, but at the same time, you know, what we see with our eyes, our, our carnal eyes, that's the outside. But let me tell you something, he's not done yet. There's more work to be done, but he doesn't barge into your heart and do that work. No. You have to let him in. You have to let him in.
It happens by faith. It happens when you commit your life to Jesus Christ, when you receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And when that happens, that's when the work continues on the inside. And it's holy. And if that's you, you're wealthy. And yes, you've had the work done. You've had the the nip here, the tuck there, the filler here, the enhancements there. Listen. Commit your life to Christ right here, right now. And you hit pause. You listen to the message, how to commit your life to Christ. And that's what you do right here, right now. You commit your life to Christ. Listen to the message, how to commit your life to Christ. And then when you come back and you hit play and you listen, you continue to listen and we grow together. We mature together. This is a major, major, you know, I mean, verse one. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. That's heavy. That's heavy. And this is specifically to the rich. Last week, it was to everybody, you know. But now it's for the rich. I mean, say, for example, you and me, you're wealthy, I'm wealthy. Say, for example, you're wealthy, I'm wealthy, and we're in the church. Number one, it's like, whoa, this is heavy. I mean, last week, chapter four, you know, uh, uh, weep and mourn. Okay, that's heavy. Uh, 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 adulterer, uh, adulteress. Okay, that's heavy. And now to the rich, weep and how. And don't forget in the earlier chapters where it's like, you know, we're not, we don't have the, the best seat in the house. We're sitting in the back. I mean, when you, when you put all this together, this is very heavy you know why because god is no respecter of persons he doesn't care about your money you see he's no respecter of persons you could be rich you could be poor you could be male you could be female anywhere in the world you could be whatever color he sees the heart If you're rich, commit your life to Christ. If you're poor, commit your life to Christ. If you're anywhere in between, commit your life to Christ. Right here, right now. Today is the day of salvation. But he doesn't make robots. You have a choice to make. You look in the mirror and you see ugly. Look at the Bible and see beauty. Look in the word of God. And the word became flesh. Look at Jesus. Look at Christ, son of the most high, and see beauty. You see? And he's the one that continues the work. Not on the outside, on the inside. Making your heart, making your mind something so incredibly beautiful. Holy. Holiness before the Lord. You see? so simple you know jesus christ says he's the one who says my yoke is easy and my burden is light it's so simple it's crazy simple but it's very intricate very very intricate you see so what is brother james saying to the rich people well look at verse two your riches are corrupted. I mean, he, he, he doesn't mince words. I mean, your riches are corrupted. I mean, have you ever met a rich person? You tell a rich person your riches are corrupted? They're never going to speak to you again. I mean, in this life? 
You have millionaires, you have billionaires, and multi-million, multi-multi-millionaires, multi-billionaires. You tell them, like, your riches are corrupted when they have, you know, 10 houses. And when I say 10 houses, these aren't like, you know, the average, the average house. You know, 10 houses, the, the, the small one is, you know, 10,000 square feet. That's the small one. And you tell them your riches are corrupted? Because remember, God's economy is not... The, it's His economy is unlike the ways of the world. Totally, completely unlike the ways of the world. His kingdom is not like any kingdom found on this earth. And Brother James, inspired of the Spirit, as a vessel of the Lord, speaking to the rich, a warning for the rich. Your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded and their corrosion will be witness against you. I mean, when we look at riches, garments, gold, silver, and their corruption, moths, and corrosion, as is written in verse 2 and 3, this doesn't happen overnight. It's not an overnight thing. No, corrosion is a process that takes time. You see? And there is a corrosion that is seen by carnal eye, but there is also corrosion that is seen with the spiritual eye. What is the condition of the heart? Because the heart that seeks riches, that's not good. But the heart that seeks the Lord, that's beautiful. And this is Brother James speaking to this. Speaking to this. Remember, church church is not a social club. People treat it like a social club with their clicks here and their clicks there. But that ought not be. Because church is ecclesia. Ecclesia. A body of those who are called. A body of those who are set apart. A body of those holy. You see? Understanding, of course, that there are varying levels of growth because in the body of Christ, you're going to have from baby to mature in the body of Christ. But we are one body. Church unity. And this church unity and being one body, it's not in accordance to what the world says. You see, it's not in accordance to what the apostate says. But it's in accordance to what the Bible says. And the word became flesh. You see, the apostate can cry out, unity, unity, unity. We have to be one with the Catholics. We have to be one with the, you know, the, the Methodists, the Lutherans. We have to be one with the Episcopals. We have to be one with Baha'i. We have to be one with the Krishna. We have to be one with the Buddha. That's what the apostate says. But when the formula is right, when you have a biblically qualified pastor or overseer, such as Brother James, Brother Paul, Brother Timothy. They're not going to proclaim unity with Baha'i. They're not going to proclaim unity with Buddha. They will proclaim unity. But biblical unity, church unity, the ecclesia. These are distinctions that must be made in these last days. 
They must be made in these last days. They always must have been made. I mean, they, they needed to be made always, always, always. But how much more in these last days? You see? And about these riches, we continue in verse 3, where Brother James says, Your gold and silver are corroded, and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have reaped up treasure in the last days. I love how we see these references to the last days in texts that were written 2,000 years ago, give or take a couple of years. Because the mocker says, oh, you Christians, you've been saying the last days since the beginning. You, all, you always say last days. You always say last days. But you know what I see? When Brother James says you have heaped up treasure in the last days here in verse 3, it was like, yes, that was written 2,000 years ago, give or take a couple years. But what I see is a constant state of readiness. A constant state of readiness. I love that. We're living in a time today where there is a converging of multiple prophecies. Not only here and not only there, but there everywhere you see i mean it was it was bad in the days of james how much worse today the converging of all these prophesied events and brother james in verse 4 he continues and says Indeed, the wages of the laborers, the laborers who mowed your fields in which you kept back and you kept back by fraud. Cry out, he says in verse four. And here we get a glimpse into the heart of the wealthy. You see, it's very important. Remember, Brother James, he's qualified, full package. He's qualified to speak on such matters. Very, very important. It's not... The charlatan who's saying, you know, oh, you know, hey, you know, you, you rich, weep and howl. It's not the charlatan saying that. It's not the hireling saying that. It's not the wolf who's saying that. Because those are the ones who will give you a guilt trip. Oh, this is bad. This is bad. But why don't you give to me? You see, that's what the charlatan says. That's what the hireling says. The godly aren't concerned about money. For themselves, they're concerned about money's hold on the person. You see, the godly, when they're offered money like in a bribery, you don't know your money perish with you. Your money perish with you. It's not about the money, but money can have a stronghold on believers, a stranglehold on believers. And this is what Brother James is writing upon, writing about. You see? Because the hireling, the wolf, oh, this is bad, you know, and they give a guilt trip. And then say, oh, you know, why don't you fund this ministry? Why don't you fund this? Why don't you fund that? See, when we understand formula, when we understand formula, you know, we know, the remnant knows, just like Barnabas, 100% to the church. You see, 100% to the church. And when we say church, it's, 
you know, like the book of Acts. It's not like the mega church. It's not like what you see on TBN, Tricking Believers Nightly. You see? Brother James is qualified to speak on these matters as a messenger of the Lord. And so we get this glimpse into the heart of the particularly particular wealthy people. Oh, look, he's so rich. Oh, look, she's so rich. Oh, look, that's a rich family. But then you look at verse 4. They cheated the workers of their money. The wages of the labors in verse 4, which mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, they cry out. See, the Lord is witness. The Lord is witness. He sees it all. And he doesn't have carnal eyes. He doesn't see all like, you know, like a security camera. No, he sees all and he sees, you know, the outside, but he sees the inside. He knows the heart. He knows the mind. He knows the motives. You see? Cheating the workers of money. I get, I completely understand starting an employee out at minimum wage. I get it. I completely understand when an employee starts at minimum wage. I get it, especially when there's a major learning curve. But 10 years on minimum wage? 20 years on minimum wage? Or on a scale that's slower than molasses? That's not good. Starting off on minimum wage is understandable. In a lot of cases, a lot of situation, situations, very applicable, very necessary. But 10 years, 20 years, longer? That's not good. In the eyes of the Lord, that's not good. And a lot of wealthy people are business owners. They own businesses. And a lot of wealthy people, you know, do the minimum wage or they do the paying under the table. That's even worse. That's like a, a double cheat because you're cheating the worker and you're cheating the government. Oh, look at that rich guy. He's so wise. Look at that rich lady. She's so wise. Oh, look, they're so, look at their houses. Look at their mansions. Look at their boats. Look at their yachts. Look at all this and this and that and this and that. Oh, look at the fancy clothes. Look at this. Look at that. But the Lord has been witness. Fraud. It's fraud. Where a rich guy says, Oh, look, I'm so rich. A couple million, a couple million last week, a couple million this week. Oh, look, I'm so rich. I'm so rich. I'm so rich. And the world sees that like, Wow, this guy is rich. Wow, look, he's so wise. But the Lord sees, No, you're a tax cheat. You're a tax cheat. You see? And on top of that, you're cheating the workers. And the Lord is witness. And it's not, it, it goes even deeper than that because the Lord, he sees the heart. Where the rich guy, everybody sees, oh, he's got this wealth. He's amassed all this wealth. Oh, look, he's so wise. He's so savvy in the ways of business. He's so savvy. But the Lord sees, no, that guy's wicked. Not only does he cheat the worker, not only does he cheat the government, but he cheats himself. Selling his soul because the Lord sees the heart. He sees wickedness because he knows the motives. 
why a guy has chosen to live in that manner, why a lady has chosen to live in that manner. He sees the heart. Even further, a lot of very, very wealthy people, they love illegal immigration. They love it. They love illegal immigration. You know why? Cheap labor. Cheap labor. I mean, you have minimum wage scales, but they pay even cheaper than minimum wage. You see? And then they pay under the table. Because they like the cheap labor. Why? They can make more money. And the politicians, they have their political prostitutes, also known as senators and congressmen. You see? And they will not dare close the border. You see? And if that is you, if you're listening, and you're of this wealthy class on which we speak of today, Look at what the word of God says in verse two, your riches are corrupted. Your garments are moth eaten and your gold and silver are corroded and their corrosion will be witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have heaped up treasure in the last days. Whoa. That's scary. Yes, I get it. I mean, if you're wealthy and you're listening, you're like, who in the, how dare this guy speak to me like this? How dare the guy speak to me like this? Who is this guy? Who is this guy? How dare he? Because no one will ever say this to you. No one will ever say this to you. But yet here we are. You hit pause. You listen to the message, how to commit your life to Christ. And you, oh, rich man, you, oh, rich woman, Humble yourself in the eyes of the Lord. Repent and receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. You hit pause. You listen to the message, how to commit your life to Christ. And you commit your life to Christ right here, right now, point blank. And you come back. You listen. We grow together. We mature together. You see? Be like Barnabas. Be like Barnabas. Beautiful, beautiful vessel of the Lord. Look what we see here in verse four. Indeed, the wages of the laborers who mold your fields, which you kept back by fraud, cry out. And the cries of the weepers have reached the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. You see? This is terrifying. This is terrifying. And a lot of people in the world... They see the rich, they see the wealthy as, oh, look, he's so wise. Look at his wealth. Wow. Look at his yacht. Wow. Look at all his mansions. Wow. He's so wise. He's so wise. He's so wise. And the Lord has been witness. He's been witness. Not only did he fraud his workers of pay, but his workers were crying out to the Lord. I mean, look at verse four. The wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, cry out. And the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. The workers were going to the Lord. 
and he hears them. They've reached his ears. I want to say something to the Christian business owner. Anytime you hire a new employee, at whatever wage, a, a, a person starts at minimum wage, but at whatever wage, that job should be a career choice for that employee, or at least in the mix as a career path for the employee to consider and pray about. You know, that's for, you know, his walk in the Lord, her walk in the Lord. That's for them to, to pray about. But hiring somebody at minimum wage and 10 years later, they're still on minimum wage. 20 years later, they're still on minimum wage. That's not good. Repent. If you're a Christian business owner, repent. Because that is wickedness. That is evil in the eyes of the Lord. Because you remember the pastoral epistles? If you've been walking with us for a while, and if not, go back and listen to our study from 1 Corinthians all the way to the book of James. How when... When, when Paul speaks, when Paul writes to young Pastor Timothy, and he says that, you know, uh, 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 a guy, a Christian in the church who doesn't provide for his own family is worse than a non-believer. That's what, that's what Paul says to Timothy. Remember, pastor to pastor. Very important to make these distinctions, you know, when we understand the, who the book, who the letter is for. Pastor to pastor, overseer to overseer. And th these are full package pastors. These are, you know, not package one, not package two, not package three, package four. Real deal. Full package. And Paul says to Timothy, he says, you know, uh, 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 anybody in the church, a Christian, who doesn't provide for his own family is worse than a non-believer. Worse than a non-believer. And then you have the rich guy. Business owner. You have the rich lady, business owner. Where the world says, you know, oh, look, he's so wise. Oh, look, she's so wise. She has all her businesses all around the world. Oh, look, he's so wise. He has all his business all around the world. And wow, they're just, you know, Fortune 500 and they're like gangbusters. But the Lord is witness. All staff on minimum wage. 100 employees, 1,000 employees, 2,000 employees, all of them illegal workers. And, you know, because the reason why you like illegal workers is because you don't have to pay them minimum wage. You can pay them under the table and pay lower than minimum wage. And you can pay, pay without paying taxes on top of that being a tax cheat. And say, for example, those, those immigrant workers... They're getting paid below minimum wage. And they go to church, say they're Christian. Some of them are Christian. Not all of them, but say some of them are Christian. And they go to church. And they hear the pastor speak about anybody who doesn't provide for his family is worse than a non-believer. Look at the heart of that beautiful, beautiful soul. He has a wife and, you know, three kids, four kids, five kids, you know, yeah, a wife and kids. And he cannot provide well for his family. 
you figure, well, that's on him, that's on him. But to the rich, do you think he is without excuse? Do you think she is scot-free? The Lord is witness. He sees. He sees. He is witness. And that's what we see here in verse 4. The wage of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud. They didn't know it was fraud, but the Lord knew. Vessels of the Lord, they know. The guy's a fraudster. Yeah, he's rich, but he's a fraud. Yeah, she's rich, but she's a fraud. And they kept back this money by fraud. The wages they kept back pay by fraud. And now they cry out. And their cries have reached the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. You see? And in the example we gave, oh, the guy's rich. Oh, she's so rich, business owner. And they got, you know, their, all this land. And they, they work the land and do this. And they, the, the bread basket, they provide all this for the, you know, the produce in the grocery store. They provide this. They ship it all here to the restaurants and all this stuff. But what is unseen is that it's all dirty. It's all dirty. It's all filthy. Because you have a guy who's been working there for 10 years, 20 years, being paid under the table at a wage that's lower than minimum wage. You see? And he has a hard time living his Christian life because he knows the Bible and he reads the Bible that, you know, if anybody doesn't provide for his, if a, if a man doesn't provide for his family, that he's worse than a non-believer and he has a rough time sleeping at night because he's trying to make ends meet because he's having a very hard time providing for his family. And because of the pay scale that the rich guy, that the rich lady has chosen, now he's thinking that He's worse than a non-believer. You see? The Lord is witness. He sees it all. Nothing is hidden before him. Nothing. Nothing at all. And Brother James, he knows this. He's a vessel of the Lord. Equipped. Knowledge of the word of God. In the power of the Holy Spirit. And remember, only the clean can clean. He's cleaning house. He's cleaning house. And for God's house to be clean, it's not like, you know, we got to dust over here and dust over there. No, when God's house is clean, hearts are clean. What about the rich people? They have hearts too, you know. And a lot of times poor people, they're like, oh, you know, I hate the rich. I hate the rich. And they look at verses like this. And like in James 5, they look in verses like this. Like, oh, look, you know, we got to hate the rich. We got to hate the rich. That's not what the Bible says. Rich people have hearts too. It's more difficult for the rich. You know, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. People have hearts too. 
and hearts need to be clean. Are the rich automatically omitted from the kingdom of heaven? The answer is no. They have a choice to make. The same way a poor person has a choice to make. Barnabas had a choice to make. He chose wisely. Ananias had a choice to make. The bad Ananias, not the good Ananias, the bad Ananias. He had a choice to make and he chose wrongly. You see? And to the Christian business owner, whenever you have an employee, a brand new employee, that job should be a career choice for that employee. He or she has a choice to make. But that job should be a career, career choice where he or she can provide for the family. You see? And you say, wait, the, the, the man has to provide for the family. Go back and listen to our studies through Ephesians 5 and 6. You'll understand more. Go back and listen to those studies. Very important in these last days. I mean, if you're a Christian business owner where you make, say, for example, $2 million a year, and you hire staff at minimum wage, you may have to take a hit and make $1.5 million a year as your staff is a small staff, but as your staff is on a pathway to six figures. And in the course of time, you start making, instead of the original $2 million, now you're making $3 million. And your former minimum wage workers are now making a million. Now they're partners. You retire and now they run the business. You see? And the money, the profits, it's clean. It's clean before the Lord. A business that is clean before the Lord. You have a rich guy in church sitting in the pews. Looks clean. Dresses nicely, fancy clothes. Looks okay. He took a shower. He doesn't stink. But how are these profits made? You see? Paying under the table. The guy's a multimillionaire paying under the table. A tax cheat and also a worker cheat. That's dirty money. That's filthy money. You have another guy who's rich. He doesn't stink. Nice clothes, nice car, nice house. But he makes his money selling crack. He's a kingpin. He's not like this, the street guy. He's a supplier of the suppliers of the street guy. Dirty money. Oh, but he's rich. He's so wise. He's so... Dirty money. You see? But then you have a sister. Business owner. She has 10 employees. Yeah, she makes multi-millions. But they also make six figures. They, they, they started out at minimum wage. You know, 10 years ago, they started out at minimum wage. Now they're making six figures. Almost seven figures. You see? Clean money. It's clean before the Lord. It's clean. You say like, whoa, that's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. Well, you know, we're talking about the rich people here. You know, Brother James, he's talking about the rich people. He's not talking about, you know, the poor. He's not talking about the middle class. He's talking about the rich people. Rich people think differently. He's talking to the rich. You see? 
where 10 years ago this person was hired and it was, a, you know, it might not have seemed like a career choice, but in the course of time, it's a career choice. It has turned into a, a beautiful career. The beautiful business owner, she, she is, you know, multimillionaire, but the money is clean before the Lord. You can give her $10,000 cash and $10,000 cash is going to go into the ministry. Why? Because that money doesn't have a hold on her. You see? She's walked through the eye of the needle. Just like Barnabas. You see? The money is clean. You take her, you take the guy who does the, who's, you know, the supplier of drugs. You take the other guy who's the, uh, the tax cheat and pays minimum, uh, not even minimum, pays under the table with the, the illegal immigrants. You take all of them, look at their, their tax documents. And it's like, wow, everybody, they, they all they say they all make $10 million. They all make $10 million. Oh, that's too much money. That's too much. We're, we're talking about rich people here. You know, rich people are different than the average bear. You know, they're, they're, they're just different. Okay. So you look at the tax papers and everything, they all have, you know, a couple houses, they have their yachts, they have their nice clothes, they have this, that, they, you, you, you look at everything. Everything looks similar, very similar, but two are filthy before the Lord. You see filthy before the Lord. You take the lady, the one who's clean before the Lord. She doesn't have the multiple houses. She might have a place. When it gets cold in the north, she might have a place down south. Okay, so she's got that. But she's funding the ministry. She's bankrolling ministries. You see? And not the tricking believers nightly. Not the TBN kind. She's giving money directly to... To pastors in like China, uh, pastors in in Russia, in the Middle East, ministries that you know buy like Bibles in bulk and you know ship them to you know regions where they don't have Bibles. And you have, say, you have these three people sitting in the pews. Two are filthy before the Lord, and the beautiful sister, she's clean before the Lord. She's got a small staff. 10 years ago, they were hired on at minimum wage. 10 years later, they're almost making seven figures. And they're Christians too. They started out as non-believers and now they're believers because the boss has been so good to them. And now they're funding ministries, bankrolling ministries. You can give them $10,000 cash and 100% is gonna help the ministry the advancement of the kingdom of God for the work of the ministry. You see? Famine comes to certain regions, but they're taken care of. Why? Because of clean money. Clean money going to clean use. But the dirty money, the Lord is witness to all of it. And so you have this business owner New employee, part, uh, uh, part-time, full-time, and then all of a sudden transition, you see the pay scale start to increase. And in a 10-year window, the employee can rejoice. 
because now the employee is able to care for his family, provide for his family. The wife, the kids, all these things, you know, pay for this, pay for that. Now that that brother in Christ can read those passages about, you know, like if, if a man doesn't provide for his own family, he's worse than a non-believer and he has a clean conscience before the Lord. Why? Because he's providing for his family. They live within their means and he's funding ministries. You see? He's providing profits, profits from business activity. Providing it for the kingdom, 100%. You see? $10,000 cash, 100%. Because that $10,000 cash is not a stranglehold to him. Because he's learned from the example of the businesswoman, his boss. You see? And it's a Christian company. A company that is clean before the Lord. A company that honors the Lord. And the guy was hired as a non-believer. You see? Hired as a non-believer. And because of his exposure to his boss, the businesswoman, he became not just a believer, but like hardcore believer. Because his last employer was, he, he saw all the hypocrisy everywhere, but in her, she's different. She's not a hypocrite. He sees her conduct. They have these meetings and he, you know, she opens up the books and he sees like, wow, you know, she's legit. She's not like my other boss. And he knows like, wow, you know, back in the day, you know, 10 years ago, I couldn't even, you know, we went out to dinner like once a year because, you know, we had to save up this money. We went out to dinner, but now it's like, now I can help other people. Now I can help brothers and sisters and take them out. You see? And not just that, but you don't fund the ministry. It's clean. I mean, in in all of our ways, in every single, rich, poor, it doesn't matter. And everybody in between, it doesn't matter. Male, female, it doesn't matter. In everything we do, in everything we do, it's dirty or clean. Choose. On one side, dirty. On the other side, clean. Choose. It's so simple. You take a worker fresh out of high school. The worker starts at minimum wage and in 10 years, he or she is making, you know, 150K. It's a small business, low overhead, very low overhead. You see? Or 10 years later, that person is still on a minimum wage. That's not good for the Christian business owner. A lot of times, you know, Christian business owners, they don't have the humility that they need. You see Christian business owners, they have, you know, on, on speed dial, they have senators and congressmen. Oh, look, I'm a wheeler. I'm a dealer. And look at all this control and power I have. And oh, I want I want to talk to the senator. Look, he's, on, he's got, him, got him on speed dial. You see, the pride of life sets in. Just like what we studied last week, the pride of life. And the Lord is witness. Is 
is it good or is it bad? Is it dirty? Is it clean? What's the smell? What's the aroma? Is the aroma sweet or is it nasty? Balls in your court, balls in our court, balls in my court. We have a choice to make. Rich, poor, you know, stinky or a sweet aroma. Choose. Honor, dishonor. Choose. Dirty, clean. Choose. And here we see in verse 4 that the wages of the laborers who mowed your field, which you kept back by fraud, cry out, and the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. You see? This is the Lord of hosts. Lord of Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts. They've reached his ears. They cried out to the Lord. In verse 5, you have lived on the earth in pleasure and luxury. You have fattened your hearts as in a day of slaughter. You have condemned. You have murdered the just. You say, wait a second, you're a rich guy, you're a rich lady. You're like, what? Murder? Come on. I didn't commit murder. I didn't commit murder. But remember, the Lord raises the bar. Because to hate is to murder in the heart and to deal treacherously with workers that's to hate your workers. You take the rich guy. Remember the three three rich people in the example? You have the rich guy who, you know, uh, not just a tax cheat, but he cheats his workers. He pays under the table. Those workers paying under the table, he hates his workers. And the Lord raises the bar. He's murdering his workers. See, he's murdering his workers and sitting in the pews inside the church, inside the church. You think the Lord is pleased with that? You say, come on, this isn't happening. Really? It's happening. Remember? Dirty or clean? Dirty or clean? It's, it's so basic. It's so simple. Dirty or clean? You wake up in the morning. Okay, every single choice you make. Is it dirty or is it clean? Choose. Is it stinky before the Lord or is it a sweet aroma unto the Lord? Every You wake up in the morning. Boom. You open your eyes. Dirty, clean. Stinky, sweet. Honor, dishonor. Choose. It doesn't mean your riches don't matter. If you're poor, if you're rich, that's irrelevant. Because you can be poor and dishonor the Lord. You can be poor and honor the Lord. Choose. You can be middle class. You can dishonor the Lord or you can honor the Lord. Choose. You can be wealthy. Choose. You can be super wealthy. Choose. But on that pay scale, the more money you get, the smaller the eye of the needle becomes. You see? It's more difficult. Not impossible. Look at Barnabas. So the rich guy wakes up in the morning, you know, puts on his fancy clothes, his shirt, you know, the, the, a shirt costs, you know, 
20 bucks for the average person, you know, $20 shirt and it lasts, you know, 20 years, you know, or, you know, sometimes even more than that. And it lasts even longer, 20 bucks. So in the course of time, it was like less than a penny a day in the course of time. But the rich guy, uh, you know, a $5,000 shirt that he wears like, you know, a couple times and, you know, that's it. $5,000 shirt where you can see like, wow, these threads are like, these are nice threads. I mean, like, I'm not, I don't speak, you know, threads is in slang. I mean, threads, like you can see, it's like imported, you know, like, you know, Italian threads, you know, fine China. And, you know, it's, it's imported from here, you know, uh, the color is all from over here and hand stitched. And you can actually see like, whoa, this is a really nicely made shirt. $7,000 shirt. $10,000 pants. It's like, whoa. Everywhere the guy goes, he's treated like royalty. Everywhere. I mean, the, the experience in the world of the wealthy is not like everybody else. Definitely not like everybody else. Wherever the rich people go, the red carpet is rolled out for them. And then the rich person comes to church. The rich person comes to the church where James is the pastor. He's not getting, you know, the, you know, the best seat in the house. She's not getting the best seat in the house where in the world they might get the best. They'll probably will get the best seat in the house. But when they come to church, no, God has no respect of persons. No valet parking at the church. You know, everywhere they go, valet parking, you just like, you know, Go shopping, you know, you pull up your car right at the front door. You pull up your car, the the little the, the guys come out, they take your car and go park it somewhere, and you know, they somebody opens the door for you and you walk into the store to go shopping for clothes and for the rich, you have the the servers there, like you know, they they offer you so whatever you want to drink, you know, soda, water, coffee, tea, you know, what kind of tea is you know, imported from you know from wherever, you know, they, they offer you this and you don't go and, you know, pick out clothes like you do it like JCPenney. No, they bring you clothes. If they if they don't know you, they'll take your measurements and, you know, you just kind of chill out and you have these people, they'll come out and they'll bring you the clothes. And if you're a frequent shopper, they know your style. And so they'll come and bring you like the latest, like, you know, what they just showed in Milan, what they just showed in Milan, Italy, you know, they have the, the models on the catwalk, you know, male, females walking and all this stuff. And it's like, whoa, I, you know, the person just saw that in Milan and, and all of a sudden he's wearing it the next day. She's wearing it the next day. That's, that's, that's how the rich shop. If you want to call it shopping. And then they come to church and it's like, you know, no valet. They're not treated like royalty. They're not treated like dirt. I mean, there's, there's, there's still kindness shown to them, but they're not treated like dirt. But they're not treated like royalty. You see? A guy like Epaphroditus is held in high esteem. Not what the world holds in high esteem. Because remember, the Lord's economy is not an economy that is of the world. So the rich guy puts on his $5,000 shirt, his $10,000 pants, his $50,000 watch, arrives at church, sits in the pews, 
And he's well, okay. I'll, you know, I'll humble myself. He says, you know, I, I don't need to. I, I don't need a ballet. You know, I'll, I'll just I'll park over here and I'll walk in. You know, like an animal, I'll walk in. Walks in. Okay, it's okay. I'll, I'll be humble before the Lord. I, I don't need to, you know, sit at the the best seat in the house. I'll sit here, kind of in the middle, midsection. Okay, I'll be humble before the Lord. But he kills his workers. He murders his workers. Why? By cheating them of their wages. A guy who been working for him for 10 years, still being paid less than a minimum wage, a wife and kids, and he can't afford to put clothes on there wearing like, you know, 10-year-old pants, a kid with 10-year-old pants, and hand-me-down pants, it's 10 years old, it was 10 years old for the, for the, for the older kid, and now it's, it, it's, you know, it's got even more holes than the original, sometimes you have pants and shirts that are like, you know, for the, you know, three generations deep. see oh but he's so rich look at the five fifty thousand dollar watch five thousand dollar shirt ten thousand dollar pants oh he's so humble he he walked over he didn't you know everywhere he goes he gets his he gets his uh you know valet the valet comes and oh look he's so humble don't judge him how dare you say mean things towards him look he's nice he's a nice guy look he bought me lunch He's a nice guy, but he murders his workers. 500 workers, 1,000 workers, 5,000 workers, and he murders them all by how he pays them. You see? And that's in the church. That's filthy. That's dirty. That's a stench to the Lord. The world, oh, accolades, you know, they, they roll out the red carpet for guys like this. But to the Lord, God is no respecter of persons. The multi, multi the richest guy on the planet, the like hundreds of billions of dollars, well, you know, 50 billion, I don't know, whatever the rich guy is, you know, 50 billion, 100 billion, 300 billion, I don't know. But that's not even peanuts to the Lord. It's nothing to the Lord. Absolutely nothing to the Lord. To the Most High? The Most High? The one who destroyed Egypt? The might and the wealth and the power of Egypt he made no more like that? Multi-billions, hundreds of billions? That's nothing. You see? And in the eyes of the Lord, in this example we gave, the rich guy, he's a murderer. And that was, that's what Brother James is saying. I mean, you thought last week was bad. I mean, say, for example, in the example we gave, say you and me were the rich people, and we go back in the day to where Brother James is teaching, and we hear like, whoa, you know, chapter four, that, that's a, that's rough. Like, whoa, that's, you know, uh, Brother James, he calls us because of, we, we pray and, and nothing happens. We pray to the Lord and nothing happens. And instead of uh, instead of being full of joy and laughter, he says to, to, to be sad, to, be, uh, to, to, to weep and mourn. And it's the following week we figure, okay, and now we're clean before the Lord. Oh, whew, glad we're done with chapter four. I'm glad we're done with that. Okay, we're going to sit in the pews and hear what Brother James has to say. And then 
Now we're looking, you know, come now, you rich, weep and howl. Like, whoa. Last week he says, you know, adulterers and adulterers. And now here in verse 6 in chapter 5, he's saying murderers. Whoa. He says you have condemned. You have murdered the just. He does not resist you, he says. You see, it's the unjust worker that resists. The unjust worker resists. They pick it. They have their signs, you know, hashtag resist. Eat the rich, they say. They go to their stewards and make their demands. They threaten to strike and they do strike. Those are the unjust workers. But the just, the righteous worker, he takes it. She takes it. He takes the condemnation. She takes the condemnation. They accept it. The just workers. But they take it to the Lord. You see? The unjust worker? They resist you. You know, they do their picketing. They make their demands. You know, hashtag resist. The unjust worker does that. But the just worker? The just worker does not resist you, but you're not off the hook. The Lord resists you. You see? And God resists the proud. It is written, God resists the proud, but it is also written, he gives grace to the humble. If you are rich. Humble yourself before the Lord. Humble yourself before the Lord Almighty. Repent, repent, repent of your wicked ways, O rich. And come to the throne of grace. Come to the throne of grace. These are hard, these are, these are hardcore words. I mean, if you're poor, these are hardcore words. But if you're rich, Nobody will speak in this manner to you. But James does. Servants of the Lord do. And if you're rich, humble yourself before the Lord. Receive grace. Don't be resisted by the Lord. To be resisted by, you know, the unjust, that's one thing. That's, you know, wickedness compounds. Wickedness begets wickedness begets wickedness. They want to do their strikes. They want to do their, you know, their stewards and all that. That's the unjust. But the just do not resist. You know what they do? They're on their face before the Lord and they pray. Just like the example we gave where a Christian... He, he doesn't resist, you know, he's, he's getting murdered by his boss. He's getting, his boss hates him. And yet 10 years, 15 years, 20 years being paid less than minimum wage, being paid under the table. His hands are like, like leather, like, like thicker and harder than leather because he works and labors with his hands. And he's on his face before the Lord. He doesn't want to be considered. He doesn't want to think of himself as being worse than a non-believer. 
but he's having a hard time providing for his family. And the Bible says a, a man who doesn't provide for his family is worse than a non-believer. And here you have this worker, beautiful worker. He's on his face before the Lord. He's not, he's not picketing. He's not doing the hashtag resist. He's not saying anything negative about the boss who murders him. But he goes to the Lord. You see, the just worker doesn't resist you. It's the Lord who resists you because the Lord hears his prayers. You see, to the rich, to the rich, I love you, to the rich, repent, 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 repent of this, your wickedness. Humble yourself before the Lord and receive him as king. You're not king. Receive him as king, king of your heart, king of your life, king of all. When you hit pause, you listen to the message, how to commit your life to Christ. And you do exactly that. You commit your life to Christ right here, right now, point blank. You come back, you listen, and we grow together. We continue on our journey. And our journey is to paradise. Look at Ananias, the bad Ananias who died and look at beautiful Barnabas who lived. Both were wealthy in real estate development. You could say one chose wrongly. One chose right. You see something else I have to say to the wealthy Christian. You're not going to fit in in most churches. You won't fit in among most Christians. You simply won't fit in. But not so with the remnant. A remnant church. You find a remnant church, that's where you can call home. That's where you can call, this is my church home. But there's another problem. Those are very rare. <laughs> Those are very rare. You see? Very important to understand formula. I mean, if you're rich, you, you know, you come to Christ, praise be to the Lord. But go back and listen to our messages from 1 Corinthians all the way to the book of James. You'll understand more. You see? These are things that Brother James is speaking on. If you're rich, nobody will speak to you like this. Nobody will speak to you like this. But Brother James does. In verse 7, we continue, therefore, be patient, brethren. Therefore, be patient, brethren. Now, remember last week. There were believers being seduced into the world. You know, they, you know, let's go make our money. Let's go over here. Let's move over here. Let's go make our money. And, you know, let's go a, a better job. I can provide better for my family. I can buy a mansion. I can buy a boat. And, oh, let's follow the money. After all, why wouldn't God want this for me? Why wouldn't God want this for me? And Brother James says, listen, don't do that. That's what Brother James says in our study last week. Don't do that. You see? Put yourself in the, in the sandals of the early church. Oh, James, you're so mean. How can you say such a thing, James? You're so mean. You're restricting me from making money. You're restricting me for more money. You're restricting me from providing for my family. Where's the gun? 
Where's the gun? Brother James, is he forcing anyone to do this or that? Not at all. What Brother James is doing, he is instructing in the ways of righteousness. You see? What Paul does, he's instructing on the ways of righteousness. What Peter does, what John does, what Matthew does, what Dr. Luke does, what Mark does. They're instructing on the ways of righteousness. But, balls in their court, they have a choice to make. The listeners, the hearers, they have a choice to make. Balls in their court. You see? And so what happened in the early church in the days of Brother James and his ministry is that people were leaving. They were being seduced by the world. Oh, look, I can make more money over here. I can make more money over there. And oh, look, we're going to wheel and deal over here. And look, I can pull all this profit and I'll be able to provide for my family. And everything's going to be fine and dandy. And oh, look, the Lord has provided. The Lord has provided. And so now we're in James 5. And now, Brother James, he's speaking to the remnant. People left following the money. The Demas, just like Demas, who left Paul, just like Demas, they left following the money. But the remnant stayed following the Lord. You see? Now, it's very, 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 very important to remember that James is a qualified teacher. He's not, it's not a guilt trip. It's not a guilt trip. His motives are pure. It's not a guilt trip. Even though in, you know, sometimes you read the writings of Brother James and it's like, whoa, this is guilt. I mean, you feel the guilt, but that's not Brother James. That's the Holy Spirit. You see, when the formula is right, it's the charlatan. It's the, the, the hireling. It's the wolf that gives the guilt trip. Because they have ulterior motives. They serve their father, the devil. But when the formula is right, and you have a qualified teacher, a qualified pastor, there's no guilt trip. Guilt trip is not their motive, even though there might, you might feel guilt. But the guilt trip isn't the motive. And when the formula is right and you feel guilt, that's not the vessel. It's what's inside. And inside the vessel is Christ. Just like Paul. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. You see? Brother James could say the same thing. Peter could say the same thing. John could say the same thing. Matthew, Luke, Mark. They could say the same thing. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. They don't teach for the guilt trip, they teach in obedience to the Lord and unto the Lord as called by the Lord. It's true that there might be guilt that comes about as a result from their teaching, but when the formula is right, that guilt, that's holy. That's holy. You see? Because of what does what, what chastisement produces in the course of time. It's how we're trained. Remember our study in the book of Hebrews? 
There's no wicked ambition or wicked motivation with Brother James. His motives are pure. Oh, James, how could you call us adulterers? How could you call us adulteresses? How could you do that, James? Well, when the formula is right, proof is in the pudding. Because how could a brother pray to the Lord and then also go do his crack? How could a sister pray to the Lord and, you know, also do her whiskey? How could another brother pray to the Lord and that same night go, go see the strippers and the prostitutes? You see, James is just calling it like he sees it. It's the ways of the adulterer and the adulteress. It's the ways of the apostate. And what does he say to the church? Don't do that. So he says, joy, laughter? No, not now. Joy, laughter? No, that's for later. That's for not right now. Right now, it's repentance. It's weeping. It's mourning. You need to repent. You see? But once repentance comes, remember last week? The Lord is the one that does the lifting. Now we can have joy. Now we can have laughter. Now for the rich, it's like, okay, chapter four. Okay, we, we've repented. Okay, now we can have joy and laughter. But the Lord raises the bar. You see, don't be a murderer to your workers. Don't murder your workers. You say, how can I murder my workers? He's been working for me for 10 years. She's been working me for 10 years. Okay, is it minimum wage? 10 years minimum wage? Is it 10 years under the table? The rich guy says, yeah. The rich lady says, yeah. Okay, you're a murderer. But they're still alive. How can I murder? How can I murder? They're still alive. You murder them in your heart. You hate your workers. How could I hate my workers? Look, I, I buy them lunch every now and then. How can I hate my workers? By how you pay them. You see? It's very important to understand. Brother James, he touches on some very, very, very sensitive subject matters that very few dare to tread. You know why? Because if a pastor teaches on these subject matter in a manner that is holy before the Lord, you know how many Christians will stay? You know how many Christians will stay? Very few, if any. Very few. You see? Remember the saints in Asia? And Paul says, they all left me. It's not just a matter of boldness for the sake of being mean. There's no meanness in that. People, oh, he's so mean. Look, he, go, he, says, oh, he, he says that my rejoicing isn't good. Like, well, why isn't your rejoicing good, brother? Why do you hate Paul so much, brother? I hate Paul so much because he says my rejoicing isn't good. Well, we're supposed to rejoice. We're Christians. I know, but I hate Paul because he says my rejoicing isn't good. Okay. Well, why is that, brother? Why does Paul say rejoicing isn't good? Well, there's this little matter of, you know, I, I was having sex with my dad's wife. But, you know, that's beside, you know, once saved, always saved, you know. Whoa, hold the phone there. What? How can you rejoice like that, brother? 
Oh, don't tell me you're like Paul. You, you like Paul? Are you, are you serious? You like Paul? How can you have sex with your dad's wife and then come to church and rejoice? Oh, you're such a legalist. You're such a legalist. Look, God is love. The Bible says God is love. Look, I read my coalition books. I got my study Bible. Once saved, always saved. You're so mean-spirited. You're such a legalist. Remember when we studied 2 Thessalonians chapter 2? And there was the urging, borderline warning, that you and me, you and me, I mean, I know there's listeners that have their families, you know, kids, parents, husbands, wives, I, I get that, but you and me. We must have a firm, strong, and grow stronger love of the truth. Profound, deep love of the truth. Because without that, the warning in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 is that the Lord gives strong delusion. You see? And the church is not excluded. Christians are not excluded. Because strong delusion, it's not coming. It's here. Apostasy, it's not coming. It's here. Oh, I hate Paul so much. I hate Paul so much. Look, he says I can't have sex with my dad's wife. I hate Paul so much. That's what was happening in Corinth. A guy was having sex with his dad's, his dad's wife. Oh, I hate Paul so much. Look, he says I can't do my extortion. Look, I'm so wise. I, I strong arm my employer and oh, look, I make all this money. I hate Paul so much. Timothy, don't listen to him. He's, he's just Paul Stooge. Titus, don't listen to him. He's Paul Stooge. Look, I want to do my sex. I want to do my alcohol. I want to do my extortion and I want to feel good about myself. James, ah, don't listen to James. Look, he says we're, he, he calls me the adulterer and adulteress. Oh, look, don't listen to James. Don't listen to James. Look, he calls me a murderer. Look, I'm so rich and he calls me a murderer. He says that, you know, that they don't resist me. He says, God resists me. Oh, I hate James. God is love. God is love. God is love. And you say, wait a second. Because the formula is right in you. You say, wait a second, brother. Wait a second, sister. I like Paul. I like Timothy. I like Titus. I like James. They speak the truth. I like them. Don't tell me you've turned into a legalist like they did. You see? These are things that we have to understand. You know why? Because when that happens in the church, it's happened before. Nothing new under the sun. You know what Paul says? Separate. When he says your rejoicing isn't good, he says, okay. The leaven, they want to stay leaven? Okay. Remnant, separate. You see? And so when Brother James is speaking on these matters, or writing on these matters, his motives are pure. He's not saying these things to hurt 
even though there's painful aspects. I mean, painful aspects of when, when sin is called out. When it's called what it is. People don't like to call it, oh, I, 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 you know, I, I have this, I have this, uh, um, uh, uh, psychological dilemma, and so uh, uh, I, you know, I I, 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 I drink. You know, I get drunk every night. I get a little inebriated. They don't say drunk. I get a little inebriated at night. Okay, let's call it what it is. You're a drunkard. You see? Oh, I'm so wise. I, 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 I um. Uh, I applied all this logic and I applied all this intellect and now I was able to convince my boss and giving a, a better paycheck and I strong armed him. I, I strong armed him and you know, I, I, it worked out, you know, I got, I got a better paycheck, you know. Well, let's call it what it is. Extortion. You see? Let's just be straight up. It's sin. Nothing mangy, remember? Nothing mangy, nothing mangy. And to the remnant, Paul says, okay, separate. James knows, Paul knows. Timothy knows, Titus knows. They know that Satan is a fisherman too. James knows that Satan doesn't, he doesn't seduce with a kick to the face. Satan doesn't say, hey, walk to me. I'm going to kick you every five minutes. I'm going to kick you hard right in the face. Satan doesn't say that. Satan says, you know, walk with me. Don't walk with Jesus. Satan says, you know, walk with me and I'm going to seduce you with candy. He doesn't say seduce, even though he's seducing. He seduces with candy. And James is speaking on these matters. You know why? Because money... That's a whole lot of candy to most people. That's what money is. And James knows that friendliness with the world is enmity with God. And so when James is speaking, full package, he's qualified. Yes, there's going to be hurt hearts. But he doesn't say it for the purpose of hurting the heart. He knows what follows when a heart is hurt. Repentance. Repentance. But not everybody repents. Not everybody humbles themselves before the Lord. I met pastors. If you're, if you're listening and you're a pastor, you please the Lord and the Lord alone. Don't be a man pleaser. Please the Lord. Don't expect negative. If, if you're a pastor and you have a thousand people in your fellowship, you please the Lord and teach truth and walk in truth. And you, you, you know, it, you have to be, you know, package four, full package. You can't be package one. You can't be disqualified. You have to be fully qualified. And when that happens, if that applies and you teach truth, don't expect a thousand people in your church. Maybe 50 at best. You see? A lot of pastors get into trouble because, you know, they have to have a certain amount of numbers. You know why? 
to sustain their quality of lifestyle. That's why. But those aren't called pastors. Those are called hirelings. Hirelings do not care about the sheep. That's what Jesus says. They care about their bellies. They care about their wallet. And pastors, you know, I can't teach this. I got to say it nicely. I got to candy coat it and say it like this. I got to say, because if I teach like this, if I teach like James, if I teach, you know, James chapter four, like what the text says, people will leave. You know what? Let them leave. Let them leave. And I don't say that like that's a like that's you know we we be we're, we're to be cheerful about that. But when Levin leaves, look at what happens to the remnant. Now they can exercise their faith. These are distinctions that must be made in the last days. Because the mother of harlots looms. Mother of harlots. Her daughters are prostitutes. Her daughters are harlots. And what is harlotry? What is harlotry? An an abandonment of the Lord. That is harlotry. We're living in the last days. We're living in the last days. And so James, in speaking on these matters, he's saying, listen, just like last week, he said, don't say we're going to go here and we're going to go there and pull profit. He says, rather say, if the Lord wills, we will do this or that and live. And so here we are in verse seven. And we have this stay behind remnant. People left following the money. But there's a remnant that stayed following the Lord. And Brother James says in verse 7, Therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. Or, you know, James, he points to a future event. The coming or the return of Jesus. And in the meantime, you know, be patient, be long-suffering. In verse 1, therefore, be patient, brethren, which translates as to be patient, yes, but to be long-suffering. He says in verse 7, see how the farmer waits? See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth. I mean, no one plants seed and gets fruit after five minutes. But from seed to fruit, that's a process that takes time. And he says, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, patiently waiting for it until it receives the early and latter rain. Now, there is a gap of time. There is a gap of time between early rains of a season and latter rains of a season. But what is unseen is happening underground. Underground. What is unseen is happening underground. Because when he says, you know, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. You take the early rain of a season, you take the latter rain of a season, and underground something is happening underneath the surface of the earth in fertile soil. 
where the seed has broken. Where there are two sprouts, two sprouts. One goes down where it gets firmly rooted. So the hole can endure the harsh conditions above the surface. And the other sprout goes up and breaks through the earth and stretches toward the heavens. And Brother James, he says, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. And in that comparison, he says in verse 8, you also be patient. Establish your hearts. That's like that, the root that, remember the two sprouts? That's like the one that goes down. It gets firmly grounded. It gets rooted in the depths of beautiful, holy soil. You know what that is? That's the condition of your heart. Establish your hearts, he says, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. In the Greek, the return of the Lord approaches. You see, I love how you see the early church 2,000 years ago, give or take a couple years. They live in readiness, a state of readiness. I love that. Amen. Here we are 2,000 years later, give or take a couple years, give or take a couple years. <clears throat> and it's closer today than it was then. It's closer today than it was yesterday. Now, something that must be understood. We do not teach a pre-tribulation rapture. And the reason why is because it's not in the Bible. Oh, but this seminary teaches it. This theology school teaches it. And this university, this Bible college teaches it. I know. I know it's widely held, widely taught. I know. But it's not in the Bible. The pre-tribulation rapture theory. It serves to help another future prophecy about mockers in the last days who will ask, where is the promise of his coming? We do not teach a pre-tribulation rapture. Now, I know that comes as a shock to everybody. A lot of people, if not everybody. I know it comes as a shock. But again, these are all housed and resourced for you. TheWayUnderground.com. Go there. TheWayUnderground.com. And you'll learn more about this very, very, very important subject matter. The rapture of the church. The 70th week of Daniel. And so many times people say, well, it's not a salvation issue. So, you know, people can be pre-trib. They can be mid-trib. They can be post-trib. They can be pre-rad. They can be whatever. Oh, it's not a salvation issue. It's not a salvation issue, they say. You know what I say? Not yet. Not yet. But once the 70th week of Daniel begins, it will most definitely be a salvation issue. Go and listen to those studies. I mean, if you're listening and, you know, if you're shocked and you're like, how dare this guy say such a thing? Well, go to the text. Listen to the text. I know... Preacher guy number one says it. I know preacher guy number two says preacher. Preacher guy number a thousand. Preacher guy number 10,000 teaches pre-trib. 
I know. But we look to the scriptures. We look to the scriptures. Thewayunderground.com. Go there, listen to those studies. Very important in these last days to understand prophecy. And we see here in verse 9, Brother James continues and he says, Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Very interesting, very interesting what we see here. We have the Lord, the judge, mentioned here in this study, and we also have it from our Wednesday study in Judges 11, verse 27. It just so happens, it just so happens. Now, it's of ultra importance, ultra, ultra, ultra importance to remember formula. Very important, ultra important. The formula is right in James. The formula has to be right in overseers. The formula has to be right in sanctuary. The formula has to be right in the body. It has to be right. Now, you know, if it's not right, it has to be getting right. If, you know, if we have that, you know, we, we also must account for babies too, because you're going to have babies and babies make mistakes. We have to account for babies as well. But when babies stay babies, that's a problem. Three years arrested development, not good. And when all the formulas are right, do not grumble. Don't groan against one another. You see, you say, well, Brother James, I mean, for Brother James to say what he said in chapter four, the formula wasn't right. Now, remember, the formula has got to be right or the formula has to be, is, is getting right. And a vessel of the Lord is getting it right, getting the formula in sanctuary, in fellowship right. So when Brother James speak as formula is right in him, he's qualified, not just qualified biblically, but qualified to speak on such matters. Why? Because he's not a hypocrite. He's not compromised. You see? And when the formula is right, don't grumble. Don't groan against one another. I mean, you say, okay, this is just, this is for every Christian, you know, don't grumble. Don't, don't, don't groan against one another. And that's a grumble is it to groan, you know, don't, don't grumble or groan against one another. If we were to take that as a blanket statement, and look at Chloe. Look at Chloe. If you're listening for the first time, you're like, well, who's Chloe? But, you know, go back and listen to our study through 1 Corinthians. You'll understand all about beautiful Chloe. And Chloe's mentioned quite a bit. I'm in love with her. She's beautiful. I'm, there's nothing, nothing, nothing more beautiful than righteousness. Nothing. She's so beautiful. But you take Chloe, for example. Before she started her home fellowship in Corinth, when the defunct pastors said nothing, nothing, nothing. They said nothing about the sex, nothing about the alcohol, nothing about the extortion, and leaven was spreading. Now, let me ask you a question. How could this beautiful saint named Chloe, how could she not groan in agony? You see? How could she not do anything but groan? Because here in verse 9, in James chapter 5, verse 9, do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. 
Now, if we, if we apply this to Chloe, oh, Chloe, you're not supposed to grumble. You're not supposed to groan against, you know, the, the saints in Corinth. You're not supposed to grumble or groan against them because you might be condemned, Chloe. You see, Christians are not Bereans. Instead, they make Chloe out to be the bad guy. They make Chloe out to be the bad gal. When really, it's the church. Instead of pointing the finger at Chloe, hey, Chloe, you know, the Bible says, you know, don't grumble, don't groan against one another, lest you be condemned. Don't do that. Don't groan against the body. Don't groan against the Christians. Don't groan against, look, they're your brothers. Look, they're your sisters. It's church family. Don't groan and don't, don't grumble and groan against them because you might be condemned, Chloe. You see? Not a lot of Bereans in these last days. But the Bereans, the lovers of truth, the profound, deep lovers of truth, they know it's not Chloe that was in the wrong. It's the church that was in the wrong. It's the other saints that were in the wrong. It's the pastors that were in the wrong. It's the elders that were in the wrong. It's the overseers that were in the wrong. It's the deacons that they were, they were the ones that were in the wrong you see? Because you take verse 9. And we aren't to apply it to Chloe. You know why? Formula. Chloe is the right formula. And when Chloe is the right formula, verse 9 does not apply to Chloe. So what does verse 9 apply to? Well, if you look at the church in Corinth, doesn't apply to Chloe. She's got the right formula in her heart, in her mind. So who's left? You see, the church, the saints, the pastors, the elders. Because how could she not? You know, don't grumble or groan against one another lest you be condemned. And Chloe did exactly that. How could she not groan at the egregious sin that was happening in the church? How could she not groan? Is she to be condemned? No. No. She's to be esteemed. And we esteem her. She's beautiful. Formula's right. You see... The defunct pastor, the defunct elder, the defunct teacher, the powerless teacher. They could say, oh, James says you're not supposed to grumble, Chloe. James says you're not supposed to groan, Chloe. You need to repent so we can have church unity. You see, a little guilt trip. You need to repent so we can have church unity. Chloe, you're the one who's in the wrong. And you know what? If Chloe were a baby Christian, she might well have put up with it. She might well have put up with it. But she wasn't a baby. She wasn't mature either. Chloe, she was deadly. The good deadly. She wasn't a baby. She wasn't adolescent. She wasn't mature. She was straight up deadly. Deadly, 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 a force to be reckoned with. Why? Because of her intimacy with the Lord. That's the work of the Lord inside of her. And she knew. 
The pastors might have said, look, you know, look, the Bible says don't groan against one another. So what's your beef, Chloe? Why are you so mad? Why do you look little sex over here, little drugs over here, little crack over here, little extortion over here? Why are you so mad? God is love. Look, once saved, always saved. We're supposed to just, you know, love on people. Let God take care of the rest. Oh, God, take care of things. All right. And he used Vessel Chloe. She started her home fellowship. Women's Bible study. You see? Then they notify Brother Paul. Vessel Paul. She goes to the covering. Male cover. Covering always male. She goes to male Paul. A covering. And what does Paul do? What does the Lord do? Cleans house in Corinth. Using... Vessel Paul, Vessel Chloe. You see? She knew. Chloe knew. I cannot submit myself to this defunct pastor. I cannot. This pastor is letting this sex in. This pastor is letting the drugs in, letting the crack in, letting the alcohol in, letting the extortion in. The pastor is letting this happen. And Chloe knew I cannot submit to this guy. The Bible says, submit to your pastors, but Chloe knew, I cannot submit. Is Chloe going against the Bible? No. The pastor is. You see? Is Chloe going to be condemned for groaning? No. Her groaning was applicable for the egregious leaven that was in Corinth. And she knew that she could not submit. She could not dare submit herself to the defunct, to the charlatan, to the wolf, to the hireling. But to Paul, she knew it's safe to submit myself to this guy. This vessel of the Lord. She knew. You see? And in her intimacy with the Lord, oneness with the Lord Jesus, and she knows that Jesus forbids her from submitting to the defunct pastor, the defunct teacher. Jesus, son of the most high, forbids her from submitting to the defunct. You see? Oh, Chloe, you're such a legalist. Oh, look, God is love. You know, so what about the sex? So what about the crack? So what about the extortion? So what about the alcohol? So what, Chloe? Oh, you're such a legalist, Chloe. Chloe's beautiful. I cannot wait to meet her and give her a big, fat hug. I cannot wait. We stress formula for a reason. We stress formula for a reason. We must understand formula. Look at the church today. Absent the Chloe's, absent the Onesimus's. Remember Onesimus? People hated Paul and Onesimus was like, hey, I like Paul. Onesimus stood up for Paul. All these people, oh, Paul's so stupid. Oh, look, he's so mean. Onesimus, he's like, what? what's wrong with him? <clears throat> what's wrong with him? Excuse me. What's wrong with Paul? Straight up. The guy's having sex with his dad's wife? Okay. He he can't be in the fellowship. 
You see? Don't forget, it takes two to tango. The guy is doing the extortion. He cannot be in the fellowship. It's one thing if it was like a month or two months deep, but we're three years deep. He can't be in the fellowship. Why? Because a little leaven leavens the bunch. You see? Don't forget Achan. Don't forget Achan. Remember our study in Joshua 7? Don't forget Achan. Because of one man, Achan, and his wicked choices. Not wicked choice, singular. Wicked choices, plural. Go back and listen to our study through Joshua 7. You'll understand more. But because of that, Israel took casualties. And Israel took casualties because of their closeness was with the Lord was getting further apart. Not good. But there's nothing new under the sun. The same thing happens in the church. You see? Because when there's no Chloe's in the fellowship, when there's no Onesimus's in the fellowship, when there's no Bereans in the fellowship, a pastor, so-called pastor, could say, look, James chapter 5 verse 9 says, don't grumble against one another lest you be condemned. Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. And the defunct pastor, the wolf, the hireling, the charlatan, could send Christians on a guilt trip. You see? Could send babies on a guilt trip. Could send the adolescents on a guilt trip. Could even send the mature on a guilt trip. Oh, look, the Bible does say we're not to grumble against one another. We're not to, you know, lest we be condemned. The Bible absolutely says that. But it is also written. It is also written. We cannot forget the thousands of it is also written's. Because the wolf, the hireling, the charlatan, the person who has no business at the pulpit would say, don't grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be, con be condemned. Meanwhile, inside the church, inside the church, the body, I'm going to say the body, it's the church, the body of Christ engages in the sex, in the drugs, in the pornography, in the alcohol, in the Ouija boards, in the chakras, in the Buddhas, worshiping Mary, worshiping angels, using their crystals and crystal meth. And just like Chloe, how can the remnant believer not groan? You see? Formula, 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 formula. You take a church, 50 people in the church. Say there's a 100 people in the church. And there's a pastor. And the pastor is like Paul, is like Timothy, is like Titus, is like James. And just stands at the pulpit and teaches. Nothing fancy. All of a sudden, there's a hundred people. 
I forgot what number I said, 100 or 1,000. I forgot. But say where there was 100. And all of a sudden, 100 becomes 90. All of a sudden, the 90 becomes 80. The 80 become 50. And it's like, well, what's... How come, how come Christians are leaving? How come saints are leaving? You ask each and every one of them, how come they're leaving? Oh, I want to go to church and feel good about myself. And I go to church and I don't feel good. I, I go to church and, you know, I, I feel guilty all the time. I feel guilty. I go to church and I feel guilty. So I don't like it here. I'm going to go to this other place across the way. I'm going to go over here and mega church, you know. They got a better music. They got, a, you know, the coffee stand in there. They got, you know, free food. And so, yeah, look. I'll go here. And what happens is the baby doesn't realize holy nutrients. The baby doesn't understand the formula. The adolescent doesn't understand the formula. And so they leave and they miss out on truth because the one who tickles ears, do you think they're going to want people to not just, you know, who, what shepherd of the Lord, just like we studied last week, what shepherd of the Lord wants God's flock to be dirty? Oh, but pastor, why aren't my prayers being answered? Well, number one, we know it's not the Lord. So who's left? You see, I mean, if someone's having a phone conversation, you know, there's one person on one end, the other person on the other end. And it's like, OK, you know, there's a problem with, you know, there's uh, there's there's a disconnect here. OK, we know it's not one. We know the problem isn't on one side. So um, I mean, that's kind of an easy equation. I mean, if it's two minus one. What's left? And Brother James says, listen, God's not the problem. And remember, he's qualified to speak on such matters. He says, you're the problem. And it's not just you. It's the apostasy. It's the harlotry. You see? Let's get you cleaned up. You see? Not a time to rejoice. Not a time for joy. Not a time for laughter. It's a time for repenting. You see? Weep and mourn. It's a time for repenting. You see? God didn't change. He never changes. The hearts changed. Just like in the Old Testament. Just like numbers. And so you have the pastor who teaches like Paul and uh, 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 John and James and Luke and he just teaches nothing fancy. And all of a sudden people start leaving. Oh, he, de he doesn't like it. I do my sex and he doesn't like it. I do my pornography. He doesn't like it. I do my Ouija boards, my Buddha. I worship Mary. I worship the angels. He doesn't like it. So I'm going to go over here where I can go to church and feel good about myself and still do my sex, my pornography, my alcohol, my Ouija boards, my Buddha. I can still do all that stuff, the crystals and the crystal meth. 
Because, oh, look, I go to church. I feel good about myself. Look, the Bible says, don't grumble against one another. In verse 9, don't grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. You see? And so people leave. But look at Chloe. Look at Chloe. How can Chloe not but mourn? How could Chloe not but groan? How? When the formula is right in her. She knows I cannot submit to this defunct path. All these people, they're, they're going to the mega church. But that guy's a freak show. You see, he teaches replacement theology. He aligns with the study Bible guy. He aligns himself with the coalition. They teach false doctrine. How could I align with that guy? They're doing their sex. They're doing their drugs. And he says, the pastor says nothing about it. He says nothing about it. And just like Onesimus, you know, everybody was leaving Paul. But Onesimus stood with Paul. What's wrong? What's wrong with Paul? Onesimus said, what's wrong with Paul? Tell me what's wrong with him. Well, he's mean. Look, he says this guy it can't be in the fellowship. Okay. Three years having sex with his dad's wife. Do you want him in the fellowship? See, Onesimus, I'm with Paul. Oh, he was mean to this other guy. He says that he, he can't be in the fellowship. Okay. Three years? Three years in doing the extortion? Do you want that in the fellowship? Is that acceptable in the eyes of the Lord? Is that acceptable? When we say church body, when we say church body, it's the body of Christ. The body of Christ. Now, it pains me to say this. It's going to pain you to hear it. But would the body of Christ be engaged in the sex, the drugs, the pornography, the alcohol, the idolatry that we see in the church today? Would the body of Christ be engaged in such things? It pains me to say it. I know it pains you to hear it. But we have to be straight up. Would the body of Christ, would the physical body of Christ be engaged in such wickedness? The answer is no. Oh, but Jesus went to the prostitute and Jesus went to the tax collector. 100% he did. As our fisher of men. Telling them, go and sin no more. Cleaning them and telling them, go and sin no more. You see? Oh, we're to be compassionate. We're to be compassionate. Understood. 100%. We are to be compassionate. 100%. But as wise fishermen, you see, and only the clean can clean, such as Chloe going to the male head. You see, Paul. 
such as Onesimus when he, what's wrong with Paul? All the saints in Asia left Paul. What's wrong with Paul? He told this guy he can't be in the church. Okay. But for three years, having doing the sex with his dad's wife. Is that okay? Is is that, are we to, are we to, are, are you suggesting, brother, that that is the body of Christ? You see? There's a disconnect with truth. And when you, when me, when we, when we understand formula, we could look at verse 9. Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. And no, even though Chloe groaned in agony of the sin, the egregious sin in Corinth, we know that verse 9 does not apply to Chloe. You see? And we know that, yes, the judge is standing at the door, but that doesn't apply to Chloe. You see? Where Chloe, in her home fellowship, she's not going to grumble against the home fellowship. She's not going to grumble. Why? Formula. But to groan against the sex and the alcohol and the extortion in Corinth, yes, to groan against that. Because groaning in that situation where the formula is bad, groaning is appropriate. You see, we're living in the last days. We're living in days of deception. And you know what? I don't want to scare you, but the deception we see today, it's nothing. This is, I mean, this is, this is a walk in the park. This isn't even a walk in the park. This is, you know, skipping through the lily field. Not even a walk in the park. This is skipping through the lily field. It's going to get so much worse, worse and worse and worse and worse. And apostasy, it's like a strong vacuum. It's going to suck people right in. But those who are firmly rooted... They will not. So we look at verse 10. My brethren, take the prophets. In James chapter 5, verse 10. My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Now, remember the words of beautiful brother Stephen? The beautiful, beautiful words of Stephen where in Acts 7, verse 52, brother Stephen says, which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one. Just speaking of Jesus, of whom you now have become betrayers and murderers. You see? And the, the same prophets that, that Stephen was speaking of is the same prophets that James is speaking of. And when you have intimacy with the Lord, don't expect to be liked by the world. Don't expect to be liked among leaven either. Expect suffering, just like the prophets. And also like the prophets is patience, endurance, long-suffering, which is also like the Lord. And the Lord is long-suffering. You see? In verse 11, 
James chapter 5, verse 11, indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord. Now, when when it comes to predestination, When it comes to predestination, a lot of people think, okay, God made this person do this and God makes this person do that. Now, listen, that's Calvinism. That's Reformed theology, which are unbiblical doctrines. Unbiblical doctrines of men without understanding. You you go to, you know, we cite earlier the wayunderground.com and we have resources there. If you're Reformed, if you're Calvinist, I love you, but come out of her, my people. Those are unbiblical doctrines because in Calvinism, the pastors, they say, go ahead and take the mark of the beast. You'll still be saved because once saved, always saved. Go ahead and take the mark of the beast. You'll still be saved, which is a lie from the pit of hell. You do that. Hello, lake of fire. Don't do that. Now, on the topic of predestination, the Lord, he desires the end for everyone to be paradise. That's what the Lord desires. He wants everybody to be in paradise. But getting there requires instruction. It requires navigators. It requires guides. It requires protectors like James, like Paul, like Timothy, like Titus. And don't forget the Lord, God Almighty, the sovereign God. He's the one. He's the one, the sovereign God. He is the one who sent his only begotten son, not to condemn the world, but that the world through Jesus might be saved. The Lord desires paradise for everyone, but there is one way, only one way. And that way is narrow. It's not wide. It is narrow. It's Jesus. You see, with Job, there was an end intended by the Lord, but there was also the perseverance of Job, which got a little bumpy along the way, but it further proves the biblical truth that predestination requires obedience. You see, and we have studies on this resource. It's all housed. It's all resource for you. So you can listen and learn and understand biblical predestination. Predestination is a biblical truth, but not as taught by the Calvinist and Reformed theory people. It's as taught according to the word of God. You see? And in verse 11, when Brother James, he's speaking or writing about this, he says, you have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. You see, God knows what he's working with. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. Super easy, but very intricate. And in verse 12, Brother James says, but above all, my brethren, do not swear. And this is in the manner of taking an oath. Do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no, no. Lest you fall into judgment, he says. Lest you fall into judgment. Now, remember how the Lord views vows. Remember remember our study in Leviticus, even Numbers? about how the Lord takes vows, how he views vows. Now, 
be very careful with vows. Be very careful with oaths because the Lord takes them very seriously. And it just so happens that we study this on Wednesday with Jephthah. Remember our study on Wednesday? And his vow before the Lord, how he understood that his vow was a serious thing before the Lord. And his beautiful, beautiful daughter understood that the vow of her father was very important it was important to her dad, but it was important to her as well. And they knew that it's important to the Lord too. And when we see when Brother James says, lest you fall into judgment, this falling into judgment is in the Greek, hypocrisis. It's where we get the word hypocrite from. Hypocrite. I'll give you an extreme example. Say there's a Christian who joins a street gang. And this is an extreme example, but say, for example, there's a Christian who joins a street gang. Now, in these lifestyles, there are two oaths. One is an oath unto the Lord, and the other is an oath unto the gang. And the person has been initiated and got jumped in and everything is initiated. And there are expectations that the person has to fulfill in accordance to that oath. Now, in accordance to that oath, there is behavior that is contradictory to faith. I mean, how can a Christian live the Christian life as a sweet aroma unto the Lord when his other oath has him involved in drive-by shootings? You see, it is hypocrisy. And it opens the door to judgment. And that is a door that must be closed. Now, that's an extreme example, but we go to the extremes to paint this picture of the two oaths. So what are we to do? No swearing, no oaths. Just a simple yes or a simple no. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Now that's an extreme example, but with swearing too, when a person is caught in a lie, for example, and they swear, they say, I swear I didn't do this. I swear I didn't do that. I swear on my mother's graves or my mother's grave. That's what they say. I swear to you, I didn't do this. I swear to you, I swear to you on my mother's grave, on my great, great, great grandpappy's grave. They swear, they swear, they swear. Now, anytime you hear a person say, I swear, it's usually said by the hypocrite. It's usually said by the hypocrite and the lukewarm. Those who have one foot in the church and one foot in the world. And the Bible says they will be vomited out. I wish you were hot or cold, but because you are lukewarm, I will vomit you out. That's what the, the Lord says. Red letters, Revelation 2 and 3. Go and read it. It's there. In the body and expelled from the body. That's what lukewarm does. Because you see, when you and me, when you and me, when we're moving on to perfection, you and me, moving on to perfection, if the Lord permits, and I don't say that in a Calvinistic sense, I say that in the biblical sense, knowing that the Lord desires us to move on to perfection, but he also knows that cannot happen with the carnal nature. You see? These are things that we studied in the book of Hebrews, and we've already studied in, in uh, the, the book of James, and here we are in James 5. But when you and me move on to perfection, your old nature, my old nature, we've reckoned to be dead. 
And there are certain non-factors which are in play. You see? Because the sex, the drugs, the alcohol, the extortion, these are non-factors. It's not happening. You know why? Because you and me have become crucified with Christ. But when a person says, you know, the, the, the person is carnal, they're a baby, they are, their behavior is in a, now, if they became a believer, you know, yesterday, that's one thing. Or if you're a new believer today and you, you heeded what we said earlier to hit pause and listen to the message, how to commit your life to Christ and you commit your life to Christ, you come back, you listen, we grow together and you know, you're a bit, you know, happy birthday. Today's your, your, your birthday in faith. And if you're a baby, you know, babies are beautiful, but when they're babies, but if you're a year deep, if you're five months deep and you're still a baby, that's not good. Three years and still a baby, that's not good. And sometimes you have Christians. They've been a Christian for 10 years, five years, 10 years, 20 years, even longer. And they're still on milk. That's not good. That's a person that isn't moving on to perfection. Remember, if the Lord permits. And the Lord permits when a person has presented themselves, himself or herself, as a living sacrifice unto the Lord. Everything. Everything. You know, I don't care how dirty you are. You could have the, the sex, the drugs, the alcohol. I don't care. You could be a tax collector. You could be a prostitute. But we got to get you cleaned up. And the Lord cleans his own fish. And when you present your body a living sacrifice and he cleans us up, you and me, he cleans us up. And we reckon the old man dead. We reckon the old woman dead. Now we're crucified with Christ. We are new creations in Christ. And then certain things become non-factors. The sex, that was the old guy. That was the old lady. The drugs, that was the old nature. Alcohol, extortion, that was the old nature. It does not, it does not apply anymore. It did, you know, before. But in Christ, no more. Because we've, we're, we've become crucified with Christ. And these are things that we understand when we understand formula. Because nowadays, in these last days, you have people who, the perpetual baby, the milk drinker for 10 years, and they say, I am crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Hold the phone there. That verse does not apply. You see? Because where you see the perpetual baby is where you also see leaven. It's where you also don't see crucifixion you see very important to understand because Paul didn't tell the church in Philippi to separate he said it to the Corinthian saints you see we make these distinctions 
It's just like verse 9. How, how could verse 9, you know, someone, a pastor might give a guilt trip to Chloe, attempts to give a guilt trip to Chloe. Hey, Chloe, don't, you know, why are you groaning? Why are you groaning? So uh, they, you know, they were, let's just love on this guy. Let's just love on this brother. Let's just love on the sister. So what? Uh, they do the sex. They do the extortion. They do their drugs. They do their alcohol. Let's just love on them. It's one thing if they were new believers, but you know, they've been Christians for three years now. Let's just love on them. You see? Chloe, you might be condemned because you're grumbling, you're groaning against the brethren, and that's the brethren. But when we understand formula, you understand, okay, they're brethren. And Paul says, don't count them as non-believers. But he does say, count them as leaven. And separate. These are things that we must, must understand we must understand these factors in the last days. Why? For the bridegroom. For our wedding. He's coming. It's so that the bride can prepare herself. Now I say bride, it's very forward-looking because the wedding hasn't happened yet. But it's very forward-looking. It's for the wise virgin to prepare herself. You see, for the coming, the return of the bridegroom. And he's coming to receive for himself his bride. And we stress formula for a reason. So, you know, when you're in a fellowship and the formula is right, uh, across the board, it's safe for you to exercise your faith among the body where maturity in the faith can happen. But if the formula isn't right, it's very dangerous to exercise your faith. Chloe couldn't do it. It's not like a matter of Chloe, like, hey, Chloe, why couldn't you do it? No, she couldn't do it because like, she literally couldn't do it. She... No mixture. The Lord doesn't like that mixture. And Chloe knew that. Why? Because she's a Berean who loves, has a deep, 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 profound love of the truth. And she knows, I can't submit myself to this pastor in Corinth. I can't submit myself to this other pastor in Corinth. I can't submit myself to this elder in Corinth. I can't do that. Is she stubborn? Is she a legalist? No, she's godly. She knows formula. And the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. Very compassionate. And so we see in verse 12, don't swear. Either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no, no, lest you fall into judgment. You see? Now we give the extreme example of a Christian who joins the gang, and that's a very extreme example. But you see the example of the two oaths. He's compromised. And that's what this word, lest you fall into judgment, is hypocrisis, which is to play the hypocrite. You see? Because if you have the Christian who's going to go to church and rejoice and praise the Lord and sing hallelujah, that's a beautiful thing when the formula is right. You see? And Paul says, if the formula is wrong, your rejoicing isn't good. To the whole, he says, your rejoicing isn't good. Brother James says, listen, now's not a time for laughter and joy. It's a time for mourning and weeping. 
You see, let's get you cleaned up. And then as clean, cleanliness is the effectuator of rejoicing and laughing. You see, formula. And when the formula is right, the effectuation of beautiful, beautiful things follow. But beautiful things don't follow the defunct. Beautiful things don't follow leaven. Beautiful things don't follow carnality. Bad things follow. You see? Apostasy follows. Wickedness follow. Judgment follows. Wrath follows. And these are things that James speaks about. These are things that Paul speaks about. These are things that Tim Timothy and Titus speak about. You see? And so we see here in verse 13, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. I mean, last week we studied unanswered prayers and prayers that where a person doesn't receive. But there's a reason why prayers aren't answered. There's a reason why a person doesn't receive. It's because they ask, but they ask amiss. But when the formula is right, pray and receive. Is anyone cheerful, he says in verse 13. Let him, let him sing psalms, he says. Just like last week. What are the conditions when laughter and joy are inappropriate? I mean, one might ask the question, how can joy be inappropriate for Christians? Because everybody thinks, okay, you Christians, you're so you're so joyous and you're so the laughter and this and that and the charlatan, the false teachers even have the what they call holy laughter, which is a lie from the pit of hell, an abomination before the Lord. But with carnality and leaven, joy and laughter are inappropriate. You see. That's why Brother James says, no, it's a time for weeping. Turn your, turn, your, turn your joy into weeping and laughter into mourning. It seems so odd for a teacher to say that, for Teacher James to say that to Christians. It seems so odd. But when the formula is wrong among Christians, it's appropriate for James to even say such a thing. Why? Because the Christians, the flock of God, they have to be clean before the Lord. But when the formula is right, cheer, laugh, sing psalms, pray and boom, answers right here. Pray and boom, receiving. Verse 14. <clears throat> Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. You see, when the formula is right, healing happens. When the formula is right, healing. A Christian can be sick and do what this person says and nothing happens. You see? So, what? See, people formulate their, their theories. They have these ideas on what the Bible says. They have these ideas on what they think the Bible says. 
Because the Bible says here in verse 4, Is anyone among you sick? Let, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. You see? And verse 15, in the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Now, the Bible says, go to the elders, the overseers in the church and let them pray. People today, they do exactly this. They go to their elders, but nothing happens. Is God a liar? The answer is no. God's not a liar. And when you understand formula, you understand that, hey, that elder, he's disqualified. I can't go to him. You look at the other elder. I can't go to that guy. You're in a church and he's like, I can't go to that elder. She's female. Okay, that says a lot because elders, covering always male. That says a lot. A lot of churches today have female pastors, female elders. Wrong formula. If you're a female pastor, female elder, or you consider yourself to be, repent, step down. You're not uncovering for your church, the flock of God. I, I say your church, but it's not your church, it's God's. You're not a covering. Get out of there. You're not a covering. I love you, but step down and Repent. Humble yourself before the Lord. No joy, no laughter. Weep and mourn. If you're a female pastor, if you consider yourself to be a female pastor or a female elder, nope. Unbiblical. Wrong formula. You see? And Christians, baby Christians, even adolescent Christians, and even some mature Christians, they think they're maturing. They might have a certain level of understanding, but they break into that threshold of deadly, that's not happening. The good deadly. The formula. People pray, nothing happens. So what do they do? They say, oh, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull out the heavyweights now. I'm going to go to my pastor. I'm going to go to my elder. And the, the elders pray, the pastors pray, nothing happens. Oh, pastor, I, you know, I, I, I read your study Bible and, you know, I love this. And you say it's okay for Christians to take the mark of the beast. You know, I'm not feeling well. I'm feeling sick. Can you pray for me? I don't want that prayer. That prayer? That prayer is going to do nothing. You see? The prayer of the wolf? The prayer of the hireling? Where the formula is not right, nothing's happening. You can be sick, go to your elder. And if the elder, if the formula is wrong, nothing's happening. You see? But if you're in a church where the formula is right, you're going to pray and boom, you're going to have answers. You're going to pray and boom, things will happen. You will have answers. You will have responses to your prayer. And you're not feeling well. And you pray and boom, you're like, you know, like, okay, I feel a little bit better. But, you know, I'm, I, I, I'm still a little sick. I got the sickies. I got the sickies. Then you go to the overseers. 
when the formula is right? I mean, look at what the Lord did in Paul and through Paul. You see? Look, it's, it is written. And so many times people make up excuses. The defunct, the disqualified. They have no business at the pulpit. None whatsoever. They should not be in the pulpit. And then all of a sudden, Christians, they go, you know, the Bible says I, I, I should come to you, elder, and you pray. And so here, my sick daughter, my sick son, you know, I'm not feeling well. Can you pray? Can you pray? Can you pray? And nothing happens. And when nothing happens, Satan loves it. You know why? Because he whispers in their ear. The Bible is fake. You see? Look, you prayed like the Bible says and nothing happened. You went to the elder like the Bible says and nothing happened. Therefore, the Bible is fake. And people get these ideas. I went to my elder, you know, the thought is right. The thought is right. The Bible says pray. I prayed, nothing happened. The Bible says go to the elders so they could pray. And I did that, nothing happened. And Satan whispers in their ear, and people, they buy it. Hook, line, and sinker. Satan is a fisherman too. You see? When what really happened, a person went to the dequalified elders. Disqualified. A person went to the disqualified elders. A person who has no business being elder. Pastor, can you pray for me? They have no business being pastor. They have no business. They don't. They do not meet the, the the qualifications of an overseer, and that's who the Christian went to. A lot of pastors and elders today, they say the gifts and the healing and the power of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit that we see in the Book of Acts. They say it's not for today. They say it was for another dispensation. You know why? Because they're trying to excuse. They're making up excuses for the reason they have no power. I'll give you the real answer. That the gifts and the healing and the power of the Spirit, the reason why you don't see it, it's because you don't see it in them. You don't see it in those who follow them. You know why? formula wrong formula when you hear a pastor teach false doctrine when you hear a pastor say you know with the study bible go ahead and take the mark of the beast you'll still be saved when you hear a, 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 a pastor teach on replacement theology when you hear a pastor say hey come on let's go grave soaking we're gonna go lay on the gravesite so we can soak up the holy spirit when you hear a pastor call glitter the holy spirit when you hear a pastor speak about what they call holy laughter, understand what you're seeing is the wrong formula doctrinally, which leads to other things, but you're seeing wrong formula, which means you cannot submit yourself to such a person. You cannot. You must not. I say that, but the ball's in your court. You have a choice to make. Wrong formula. And if it's the wrong formula, 
no oil. You see? If there's no oil, no power. If there's no power, you know what that is? Lamps without light. Hello, lake of fire. You see? Balls in your court? Choose. But when the formula is right, you can pray, boom, things are happening. When the formula is right, you can go to your elders, boom, things are happening. They pray, and they, they, they anoint with oil in the name of the Lord, boom, things are happening. Because the formula is right. In verse 15, and the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. When the formula is right there, there is effectuation of so many promises. I mean, just for a moment, just for a moment, picture a church where James is the pastor. Yes, there's some harsh things have been said. And not to, not to say that they shouldn't have been said. No, they needed to be said. Why? Because the next step after leaven, not good. So we got to prevent leaven and you know, preventing leaven. We got to prevent the carnality in the flesh. And in order to do that, we have to address the flesh. We have to address carnality. But you take a church where James is pastor. Do you know how safe it is to fellowship there? And not just, not just safe to, to fellowship there, but we can grow there. We can exercise our faith there. Where Brother James, he teaches us. He pours into us. He protects us from wolves. And then a brother in the church becomes elder. And we have overseers in the fellowship to watch out for our souls. And meanwhile, we can become deadly, the good deadly. You see? The good deadly. But you look for a church where you have the Jameses, you have the Pauls, you have the Timothys, you have the Tituses. Few and far between. Very rare, very rare in the last days. I mean, it's always it's it's always been rare, but even more so in the last days. And the, such overseers, these are going to have a big fat target on their heads in the last days, hunted down. And we see in verse sixteen in closing. Confess your trespasses to one another. Now, this is in the Greek, confess your trespasses to one. Trespass is sideslip. Remember in our study in the book of Acts, the sidestep? Sidestep left, 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 left. You know, it, it, we, we want believers, every single one of us, myself included, we want every single one of us to be right smack dab in the middle of the narrow path. Right smack dab in the middle of the narrow path. But a sidestep left... In order to be in the middle of the narrow path, a sidestep left, we got to take a sidestep right to get right in the middle. A sidestep right, we got to take a sidestep left to be right in the middle. But Satan with his whispers, he likes the sidestep left, sidestep left, sidestep left, sidestep left, 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 fall. You see? He seduces. 
He dangles money. He dangles money. He dangles candy. Whatever it is. Sex, drugs, money, the rock and roll, the whole nine yards. Alcohol, whiskey, whatever it is. He seduces with candy. And Christians sidestep left, 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 left. And in the course of time, fall. And Brother James, he says in verse 16, confess your trespasses to one another. Now, in a fellowship where James is the pastor, where Timothy is the pastor, or Titus is the pastor, it's very safe to do this. Very safe to confess trespasses to one another. But with defunct pastors, with the disqualified pastors, with the hireling, with the wolf, this is unsafe. Unsafe. Also unholy. Remember, Only the clean can clean. Take Corinth, for example. You know, people have told me before, it's like, oh, you always talk about Corinth. You always talk about Corinth. Yeah, for a reason. You know why? The church today reminds me a whole lot of Corinth. You take Corinth, for example. Pre-separation. Under the leadership of someone who has no business at the pulpit. Now, A brother says to another brother, before the separation under the leadership of the defunct, where a brother says, hey, brother, I'm having sex with my dad's wife. You see? And remember, that was a problem that was happening inside the church. And this is under the leadership of the defunct, where it's been uncorrected, three years uncorrected. How might a carnal believer respond? Where a brother says, you know what? I'm doing the sex. How might a carnal believer respond? You see? I mean, I don't want to get graphic or anything. But do you expect a carnal believer to respond in righteousness? Or will he say, oh, you know, introduce me to her. Or you take a sister, for example, where a sister says to another sister, hey, sister, I'm having sex with my husband's son. How might the carnal sister respond under the leadership of the defunct that has never spoken against such carnalities and never spoken about the ways of righteousness? Would a sister respond in the like? A carnal sister. Oh, can you introduce me to him? You see, these are extreme examples, but these are extreme examples that are also inside the church today, inside the church today, it's happening. The extremes of sin, the extremes of trespass under the leadership of the defunct. You see, and when when we see verse 16, confess your trespasses to one another, this is highly dangerous, very, very dangerous when the formula is not right in a fellowship, when the carnal stay carnal, when babies stay babies, when leaven stays leaven, but to confess to Onesimus, to confess to Epaphroditus, to confess to Chloe, to confess to Lydia. You know what they would say? Let's get you cleaned up. 
Let's get you cleaned up. This is the body caring for the body. You see? The body caring for the body. The apostate is not the body. The apostate is not the body. So we look at verse 16. Confess your trespasses to one another. Which is very beautiful. Very holy. But the formula has to be right. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. You see? How is it that pastors get away with, oh, you know, the gifts and the healing and the the moving and the power of the Spirit that we saw in the book of Acts? It is not for today. That was for 2,000 years ago. How do pastors get away with speaking and teaching such apostasy, such lies? How do they get away with it? You want the answer? Baby Christians. Christians who are not Bereans. That's how they get away with it. And they say, oh, the Lord doesn't heal like, 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 like that anymore. That was for the book of the Acts. That was, that was for book of Acts. That was for that dispensation. It is no longer for today. Now, let me tell you something. That is the answer of the dead. That is the answer for them. No healing with them. No power with them. No oil with them. You see? And for them, the Lord won't heal. But the living, the living stress formula, it's got to be right. Paul taught about formula. James taught about formula. You see? And last week in our study in chapter 4, we studied how prayers go unanswered. It's not because of God. Brother James says it's because of the believers, the Christians. It's because of you, he said to the saints. The formula is not right. There is absolutely healing in the Lord. Absolutely healing. There is absolutely power in His Spirit. A moving of the Spirit. Just like we see in the book of Acts. There's no expiration date like the apostates say. And so we see in verse 16. The effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Or the effective, fervent prayer is the active, efficient, mighty, operative, effectual, and powerful prayer of a righteous man avails much. Translates in the Greek is, it's a strong force. A strong force. Remember the demons where, you know, they say, Jesus we know, Paul we know, but who in the world are you? You see, the demons knew Paul was a force to be reckoned with. It just so happens in our study on Wednesdays, the, the, the book of Judges. Where Israel, when Israel was a force to be reckoned with. Well, it stemmed from the jumper cables of the judge. Who was the judge? Both male and female, young, old. Their intimacy with the Lord. You see? The demons knew Paul was a force to be reckoned with. I mean, the demons know. Jesus, in, in Matthew 8, the demons asked, they asked Jesus, have you come before the time? The demons, they know the Bible. They know who the deadly are, the good deadly. They know who they are, like Paul. 
They know who those, those who are a force to be reckoned with, they know. And Satan presents the alternatives. Oh, you want to be a good Christians? Okay. Don't follow Paul. Look, he's so mean. Here, look, follow Alexander. Don't follow Timothy. Here, look, follow, follow Hymenaeus. They're fantastic teachers. Don't go to Paul. Don't go to Timothy. Don't go to Titus. Don't go to James. Look, Paul says rejoicing isn't good. James, he said he calls you adulterers. You see, Alexander and Hymenaeus, they'll give you all the comfort you need. And hello, lake of fire. It's a trap. It's a trap. But when we understand formula, we know that there are effectuators for promises of the Lord and the promises of the Lord are beautiful. A sure thing. But there are effectuators. In verse 17, we see Elijah was a man with a nature like ours and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. Very interesting. Three and a half years. Very interesting. No rain. Three and a half years. Very interesting. Elijah prayed and things happened. Just like Hannah. Hannah prayed and things happened. You see? Is your desire to summon such power? I say unto you, repent. Repent, repent, repent. That is not the way of righteousness. Don't treat the Bible like a, like a genie. You treat the Bible like genie? You're... That's the way of wickedness. No. And I've had these conversations with people who are like, oh, I, want, I want this power. I want to summon this power. No, 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 no. Don't treat the Bible like it's a genie. That's the way of the wicked. You look at the heart of Elijah. You look at the heart of Hannah. Look at little Timmy. Remember little Timmy? He said, oh, yeah, Paul, Paul taught him well. Yes, Paul taught him well. But don't forget his prerequisite courses with Mama and Grandma, Lois and Eunice. Don't forget. We look at the heart. Look at the heart of beautiful Deborah. You see? Ehud. Look at these beautiful hearts. And let your heart do likewise. On Elijah in verse 18, and he prayed again and the heavens gave rain and the earth produced its fruit. Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back. Now, something that has to be said. If once saved, always saved were true. Why would someone need to turn back a brother or sister? I mean, let's be straight up. If once saved, always saved were true. Why would this need to happen? Why would there be the need to turn a brother or sister back? How could a brother or sister wander away from truth? I'll give you the answer. Once saved, always saved is a lie. The biblical formula is once saved, stay saved. A person can wander from truth. And when you attempt to turn a brother back, when you attempt to turn a sister back, it is a beautiful thing. It is a very beautiful thing. But there are several things to keep in mind. Number one, 
You cannot be a hypocrite. You cannot be a hypocrite. You can't attempt to bring a brother back from sex when you yourself are in the sex. You can't attempt to bring a sister back from crack when you yourself are with the crack. You see, you cannot be a hypocrite. Only the clean can clean. Number two, you cannot have impure motives. Probably when you speak to this brother, when you speak to this sister, they're going to feel guilty. But that guilt must come from the Holy Spirit. That guilt cannot come from you. It can't be like imposed from you. And you can speak. Remember, you cannot be a hypocrite. Which means you have to be clean. Only the clean can clean. And you can't have motives to hurt. Even though a person might hurt. That's not from you. That's the Holy Spirit. If the hurt that they have is from you, that's not good. But when it's in truth and from the Lord, that's good. Because look at James. James is qualified to speak on such matters. You see? He doesn't have five wives. Paul doesn't have, you know, ten wives. No. You see? The formula is right. They are qualified. They meet these qualified. Things that they say, they are hurtful. They are hurtful. But righteousness always hurts the wicked. Righteousness always hurts leaven. Righteousness always hurts the flesh. Righteousness always hurts the carnal nature. When it hurts less, that's the way of righteousness. You see? And that only comes from repentance. And repentance only comes from humility before the Lord. Outside of that, the Lord resists the proud. You see? And people say, I'm, I, I, I'm done with Paul. You know, the saints in Asia, I'm done with Paul. You know what? I like Alexander. I'm Himenaeus. You see? The Lord resists the proud. Oh, I'm done with James. Look, he called me, he called me an adulterer. He called me an adulterer. So look, he says we're apostate. I'm done with James. You see? That's the proud heart. You cannot have impure motives. Your motives must be pure. Your motives must be holy in service unto the Lord. Lastly, understand that the person you're trying to win, if they've wandered from truth and you're attempting to turn them back, also understand that they have a choice to make. They have their own choice to make. You cannot manipulate them. You cannot force them. They might wander from truth. And, you know, they're, they're, they're wandering from truth because they don't love the truth. You see? They have a choice to make. And you want them to choose right. But you can't force it. You can't manipulate. You can't coerce. You can teach, you can explain, you can cite Bible verse. But if your motives aren't pure, if you're, if you're citing Bible verses to prove that you know the Bible, bad motives. That's not good. Don't, you know, don't, you can't do that. Don't do that. Only the clean can clean. You can't be a hypocrite. You can't tell somebody, hey, don't do the crack, don't do the sex when you yourself are doing the crack and the sex. You see? And when the formula is right, 
and you're desperately trying to turn someone back from wandering from the truth, which happens and it will happen and it, it is happening. And it's going to get worse as we get further in the last days as apostasy spreads and apostasy gets deep as the influence of the mother of harlots gets deeper and deeper and deeper. There's a formula for you. But there's something else at work when a person doesn't love the truth. And that's what we get from 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 where their strong delusion, it's from God. It's a form of judgment. You see, and I don't say this as a hands off approach where we just let it be and we're fine with it because it hurts. It's painful. It's painful to see. And people you love, it's happening. Pastors, people you love, people you've poured into, and you see it happening. You cannot force, you cannot coerce, you cannot manipulate. It is happening. You think Paul was happy when Christians left him? You think Paul was happy when Demas left him? That was like his... Like his heart being ripped. Like his very heart. Not a finger, not a toe, not an arm. No, his very heart. What sustains life. His very heart being ripped. That's painful. And in these last days, entry into apostasy, it's wide open and it's getting worse. And it's going to keep getting worse. Yes, make your efforts, beloved saints. Make your efforts. But also understand that there are multiple factors in play. One of them being God's judgment, which comes first to the church. And in closing, we look at verse 20 about someone who turns him back, someone who's wandered from the truth. In verse 20, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death. Again, it must be said, if once saved, always saved were true, as is taught widely, taught widely among the Calvinists and Reformed. If once saved, always saved were true, how could this even be a factor? How could inside the body, where verse 19 says, brethren and among you, how could it be we're inside the body? How can it be that a brother or sister can wander away from the truth? And how can such error get to the level of a soul entering death? As verse 20 says, how can this be true? If once saved, always saved were true. I'll give you the answer. Once saved, always saved. It's a lie. The biblical answer, it's once saved, stay saved. You see? And verse 20 says, He who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. You see? Cover a multitude of, thins, of sins. This isn't a license to sin or this isn't a license to have a multitude of sins. But it's the first step in a holy process. And remember, only the clean can clean. 
where a, a brother says to another brother or a sister says to another sister, let's get you cleaned up. A brother can say it to sister, sister can say it to brother. But there are things that we have to be cautious about because of the carnal nature. But the deadly, like Paul, like Timothy, like James, the deadly, the good deadly, that's a different matter altogether. Where a Christian says, you know what? Let's get you cleaned up. Let's get you cleaned up. And as we see in both Testaments, old and new, in both covenants, the old and new, what do we see? Only the clean can clean. Only the clean can clean. To the beautiful people of the way, a remnant of these last days. God bless you. I love you.